Hi, everybody. Welcome to Stress Free Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Little. And uh, it's great to be here. A little late start tonight. Um, in our YouTube comments, uh, C. King says, oh, I'm actually here on time, but it's about 20 minutes after the hour. What's that military expression that I certainly could have used uh, for my own life low these many years? Uh, early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable, something along those lines. Anyway, here we are. So it's uh, it's good to be here. And um, looks like we got YouTube and uh, Twitch are streaming. And uh, it's the 17th of November, Thursday. And uh, it's got a whole new uh, whole thing going. Now, I actually had um, the browser window open, and I promised myself that I would have the Super Chats ready tonight. And once again, I've lied to myself because I'm a, I'm a filthy, worthless liar. I just plain forgot to do it today. So... Uh, I will make a severe attempt to do it as soon as this show is over tonight. It's not that I don't want your money. It's just that uh, I have been basically just kind of underwater. But anyway, I guess that's the story uh, of the ages now. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's still tough. Uh, still tough to get some of my energy back. Uh, my friend Phil, who's watching, and, and his wife Bobby, and many others have said, you know, this might be um, like a long COVID kind of thing. Uh, if it is, it's like it's like super long. But I don't re don't recall I've had anything like my old energy levels back. Maybe I'm just tired. Who knows? Uh, that would explain it as well. Um, they sent me, uh, and a number of people sent me a list of great supplements to take, and those supplements are sitting in the same bin as the Super Chats. So uh, I, I'm barely at the point where I can tie my shoes anymore. Uh, but since I don't have to tie my shoes for this show, uh, here we are. Uh, Moonshire Pony on YouTube says, uh, Bill, it's crazy out there. Everything is falling apart. Yes, and uh, I've noticed, and that's the good news. Uh, <laughs> we did the um, Stratosphere Studio on Monday night, and during the recording we found out that uh, Arizona had been called for the person who's not Carrie Lake. And, um, okay, okay. Uh, I guess we can talk about that later. I imagine there'll be some questions about that. I will um, I will undoubtedly get to that uh, later on in the course of the evening. Um, just a couple things uh, before we get started. That I'll say a couple things that usually means about an hour. Um, first of all, uh, I I saw an instant that they were going to launch the SLS and 1 a.m. 1:30 a.m. Eastern, and I saw this. I don't know what time. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, or something. Uh, that was a half an hour ago, or something. So I run onto YouTube and catch up on the live stream and sure enough it lifted off. Uh, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go ahead and be that guy because uh, somebody has to. I was that's the first launch I've ever been um, rooting against, you know uh, And I'm rooting against it because, if the thing had never gotten off the pad, stay with me here. I know I'm going to catch a lot of a lot of love on this one. But if the thing had never gone off the pad, then we would have had the sunk cost of billions and billions of dollars for this system. But now that it's up and quote-unquote working, how much more money are we going to pour down this, um, this, um, this rat hole? I didn't realize that... Um, until really late in the program, until they rolled it out a couple months ago. I didn't realize, yeah, that's exactly right. Heretic says, all I could say is there goes a billion dollars. But worse than that, 
worse than that heretic is not only there goes a billion dollars, there goes four irreplaceable, reusable space shuttle engines into the ocean. And, um, and when I realized that the Artemis program was predicated on using and then discarding reusable shuttle engines and not recovering it, I just realized, how many launches are you going to get out of this thing? If anybody, it's great to have the group mind at work on things. If anybody can tell me how many um, space shuttle main engines there were prior to the um, Artemis launch, that would give us an idea of how many launches we can get, because we're going to throw away four of them every time we launch this thing. And watching the solid rocket boosters, you know, that I remember when I first saw those things go, when was that, just a couple years? No, actually, it was only 40 years ago or whatever, 81. Um, so um, when I saw those SRBs light, I thought, I'm tired of these things, you know. I've seen these, uh, these SRBs suck. They're, they're, they suck. Um, oh, they're going to build new engines? Well, only $100 million per engine. And the SpaceX is building one new um, Merlin. Is it is the Merlin that they're building? And I think they're making 200, they cost them $250,000 or something. So, okay, so this thing's on its way. Great. And, and it's going to the moon. Fantastic. But I'll tell you, the only thing I thought that was worse than watching those four engines just fly off into the night and then just splash raptors, yeah, raptors per day, Watching that, um, I'll get to that. Everybody's saying apparently SpaceX is bidding to take charge of Artemis. Artemis. If SpaceX does get charge of Artemis, what they ought to do is they ought to sell every single component they can for a yard sale price and get as much money as they can and put it into building more uh, Raptor engines. Um, because I just watched the thing go and I simply could not believe. You know, how, you know the word that came into my mind when I watched this? I was watching this and it just flew into my head. I said, this is so 20th century, you know? It's just so 20th century watching this, you know, solid rocket boosters. Now, nothing could go wrong with them. Um, you know, once you once you light a solid rocket booster, it burns until it either burns out or you blow it up. And I'm not a fan. Um, I'm not a fan of the uh, orange color, which reminds me of the color of, um, undoubtedly because it's the same substance, of uh, the foam on the external tank on the shuttle. Now, Admittedly, on the on the SLS, there's nothing that that foam can come off and hit, but it brings all that you know baggage with it. But the main reason I'm I'm disappointed to see it fly uh, is because there is it's not only not innovative, it's it's retro, it's retrograde, it's it's an enormous commitment into technologies that are been obsolete for 15, 20 years now. And I don't understand why you would do that. And 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 I don't know how many of you watched uh, the, the giant pep talk that was given um, uh, at the end of this to the mission controllers where uh, I don't know who the woman was, but she looked like, um, you know, she looked like she was conducting a PowerPoint presentation for, you know, an insurance company. Uh, and she was saying, you know, this is your moment. No one can take it away from you. And there's, you know, scattered, like, you know, golf clap. It's, it's over, right? It's over. Um, oh, that's an interesting point. Leave it to Rand Simberg to get it right. My friend, Dave Big Booty says, Rand Simberg, a friend of mine, from, I haven't talked to him much lately, calls the SLS Artemis the Apargo, the Apollo cargo cult. Perfect, yes. If we build something that sounds like Apollo and looks kind of like Apollo, then we'll get all the Apollo. No, it's done. It's over. 
that magic moment is gone. All of the spirit of Apollo is in SpaceX mission control now. And when I look at SpaceX, everything I see, every time I see something new from SpaceX, I think well, that's pretty cool. When I saw the the um, the the, uh, the Starship Heavy stacked, I thought, well, damn, man. And I and and I thought that Mechagodzilla, Mechazilla was gonna, you know, the the thing that catches the the descending first stage and then stacks the second stage on top. I thought that thing was five, six years in the future. No, it's ready to go. Um, if it hadn't been for uh, for the FAA and then NASA, they would have been, they said they were going around the moon in 2022. And I have no doubt they could have made it then. But in any event, um, okay, so uh, Lord Sank says apparently they have 16 engines, but they're getting 18 more apparently. 18 more at 100 million a piece, you know, billion here, billion there. If SpaceX takes over the Artemis program, first thing they should do is is just don't build those engines because for a hundred million dollars you can build four hundred uh, Raptors. Um, Edward uh, Ed Smith wants to know: Does India have a space program? They do. They tried to put a lander on the moon and or a rover, a lander, I think. And the thing went inverted on the way in, but I think they got it on the second try. I, look, I don't mind failure. I, uh, failure is how you get there. I just think I'd like to see something failing that's new. So Artemis is on its way to the moon, hooray, right? It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, we're, th this, this, it's almost to me like when I think about when I think about what this, what is the soul of the Artemis program, what is their stated mission, what are they all about? The only thing I can think of, because this is the only thing I hear from them, is that Artemis will be a chance for women and people of color to walk on the moon. And to me, that's antithetical to the space program. Not that women and people of color are antithetical to the space program, far from it. Just the space program and NASA used to be the best of the best. Now they're the best of certain categories, and I'm just not, I'm not on board with it. I'm not. Um, SpaceX, on the other hand, is breaking all kinds of ground and doing all kinds of things. They have an extremely diverse workforce, but looking at SpaceX and what SpaceX accomplishes, I think that the people who are working in the SpaceX mission control are there because they're the best people in the, in the world. And I don't get that feeling with NASA. I certainly didn't get that feeling from whoever that woman was given that rousing speech, you know. She, she, she really looked like someone talking who who um, who was just wrapping up a meeting, you know, and and she had um, you know she had something in Tupperware in the microwave that she had to go run to. I was not impressed at all. I'm not impressed with the design. I'm not impressed with the Artemis capsule. I haven't even seen the Artemis lander. Uh, now, sending a, a manned vehicle around the moon is awesome, and it'd be nice to see new pictures of the moon. But is that capsule man rated yet? I don't. I wouldn't fly in that. I'd fly in the. I'd fly in a dragon, no problem. Um, yeah, and and, the, and and Bart's treasure's got it right in Twitch. He says everyone's saying go Artemis at the end of every conversation, uh, and it reminded me of Hill Vectrum. It, it was one or two people said it's so good to see NASA doing this instead of a private person, you know. With you know, it's like, whoa, whoa. so good to see them doing what you know, doing what chucking these engines into the ocean, spending two billion dollars a launch. This is, this is how the government works. Um, we mentioned uh, Rand Sundberg in the comments earlier, and uh, we did um, something called the Free Frontier back in 2011. I worked with Rand on that. This is before um, SpaceX really started to take off, so 10, 
10, 11 years ago. And uh, it was Rand who pointed me to um, the example of uh, the, the two British airships, R-100 and R-101. Uh, and it's a great story, and I'm planning on incorporating it. Just briefly, I've mentioned it once or twice on the show, but just briefly, um, after World War I, it looked like Zeppelins and dirigibles, you know, rigid airships had a future. And the, and the Germans had built some great ones. So the British decided that they were going to build two large-scale dirigibles, rigid airships, R-100 and R-101. And they were going to be the same design, and R-100 was going to be built by the British government, and R-101 was going to be built by a consortium of private companies off of the same design. It was kind of a test. The test was designed to humiliate private enterprise by showing how much better the state could run things because the R-100 Zeppelin uh, had all the resources at its disposal. Anything it needed, any any amount of money it needed, boom. The R101 was basically the bastard child and had to raise money and had to you know cut corners, had a tight budget. So you've got private enterprise building one thing, you've got the the British government building the other, right next to each other, same paper design. And the short form of this interesting story is that. The R101, uh, the private version, went on to have a long and tremendously successful career and never had an accident. They had to finally just, they just broke it up when it was done because it was light, it was, uh, it was strong, it was economical. It was all of those things because it didn't have an unlimited budget. The R100, on the other hand, which had nothing but money, anytime they had a problem, they'd throw money at it. And the more money they threw at it, the heavier it got. And the private company version had the exact opposite dynamic. We're short on money. That means we have to be thinking our way out of these problems rather than ladling more stuff onto it. So R101 was a tremendous success. R100, on the other hand, was getting so badly clocked by this private enterprise, and the whole purpose was just to show how awesome the British government was at building things. So they finally said, we're going to fly R100 to India. Um, well, that's quite a trip, actually, from England. So sure enough, um, they loaded that baby up, and they uh, launched it, and it was so overweight, underpowered, badly designed, that I don't think it got much above 800 feet. And as it, it did manage to cross the, um, the English Channel, so, you know, so there's that. Remember, R101 is traveling the world in its lifetime. And once it got across the English Channel, it got, uh, it got uh, over France. And, and unfortunately for the R100, um, France is not exclusively at sea level. And so... Uh, R100 crashed into an, I think I want to say it was an 800-foot hill or, or something like that, something minor, uh, and killed everybody on board. And if you need a clearer example than that, I don't have one. Um, it's, the, it's, the, it's the perfect, ideal, laboratory-controlled experiment. And so here we are. We've just launched the, you know, the R100. And um, I don't have confidence in that vehicle. And even if the vehicle performs perfectly as advertised, I don't think it performs nearly up to what it could be. And you got to give Elon Musk and SpaceX credit for this. When I first saw them try to recover rocket boosters, I thought they were mad. I thought, no, we should have space planes, you know, fly it up there. Recovering a rocket, that's just nuts. And after having uh, seen, you know, pretty near a decade now, I guess, of, of SpaceX, I, the idea of throwing a rocket away Throwing those engines away is 
madness. It's madness to me. Yes, John Pershing brings up another great point. Perfect point. Thank you, John. I'm glad you brought that up. I like that example actually even better. And when I was putting together an essay on this, I, I'd included that. Thank you for reminding me. Exact same story with R100 and R101 happened uh, in the search for uh, powered flight, right? So, so um, Langley, uh, who was the noted aerodynamic uh, expert of the age, uh, Langley, who they named um, uh, Langley after the... Um, and Langley was also named after Langley, too, which is kind of an interesting coincidence. So the U.S. government, he managed to persuade the U.S. government, and I think through the Smithsonian, to give him an incredible sum of money. I think it was 100 grand, which was a ton of money in 1903 or 1902. So Langley has all of these resources. He's got, I don't know how many people were working on the project. It probably was, certainly was scores of them. It might have been hundreds of them. He's got essentially an unlimited budget. He builds a a, a, an airplane called the um, Velocipede, was it the Velocipede or something? It looked like a cigar with paddle wheels on both ends. It didn't look like an airplane, because it wasn't. And um, his confidence was so high, did I get it backwards? I might have gotten it backwards. Uh, uh, Bishop Cruz says the 100, 101 was the British government. I wouldn't be surprised if I got it wrong. Anyway, flip the numbers, you get the idea. Thanks for the correction. Um, so you've got, you've got everybody in the world trying to figure out how to fly, right? How to, heavier than air flight. You've got, um, got a guy named um, Otto Lilienthal, who was a German. Um, and he was the guy who was first building hang gliders. And there was another guy, a, a theoretician named Octave Chanute, Canute. And he was the guy who put together the air pressure tables. He was the guy who calculated how much curb you needed, how much speed, and how much reduction in upper surface air pressure would be that would generate the lift and so on. So the Wright brothers take a look at Octave Canute's numbers. And uh, so they build their airplane, their first glider. They march on down to Kitty Hawk in either 1900 or 1901. They, um, they launch this thing and boom, didn't crash, but it didn't fly anything like as well as advertised. And the Wright brothers, just the two of them would sit in this wooden shack out at Kill Devil Hill, eaten alive by sand fleas, just brought in cans of beans and they had, you know, little house, they cooked their own dinners. My favorite story about the Wright brothers is that they would get into arguments. The arguments between um, Orville and Wilbur got so intense that fairly often Orville would say one thing, Wilbur would say the other, and by the time they were finished arguing, they had both swapped positions and then now they were still as, as arguing as ferociously as before, each one having convinced the other of the position. That's remarkable. So they built according to, um, to, the, to the pressure tables, and then, they, um, and then they, uh, they went out to fly it, and it didn't fly. Now, most of the people would have said, well, clearly our design is wrong or something like that, but these were meticulous men. My father was a pastor. These guys were extraordinarily careful bicycle mechanics. And um, uh, hang on, I just got to see this. Uh, Godem Coach 23 says, I unsubscribed from Bill Whittle when he flipped on conservatives and Trump for 2024. Okay, well, why are you here then? In any event, um, the uh, these guys sat down and realized that the only explanation was that the, the tables were wrong. That the tables were wrong. Um, and so... Instead of going out and building these gigantic things, they took a year off and they built the world's first uh, air tunnel, 
wind tunnel. Little delicate little balanced things and they would put the they put the little airfoils in there and they'd run a little fan past it, you know, and then and then you know they'd measure the lift and then they'd change the airfoil. So they basically had to go back and do the science before they did the engineering. Um I don't know, because I felt like it. Uh, and, you know, and so there it goes. So that's how you win something like that, right? They went out. They thought they had good data as engineers. They went out. They built the, they engineered the, the vehicle based on the data. And when the vehicle didn't fly, they didn't think there was a problem with the theory or anything. They just thought, okay, the data's bad. So they stopped being engineers and they became scientists and they worked out all of their own uh, air pressure tables and all the rest of this stuff. Then they went back and built the, uh, the test and then the following year they built the right flyer. Meanwhile, Langley has got all of this money and he, and he builds this thing, like I said, look like a cigar with paddle wheels on, on four sides. No real way to control it. No, no control surfaces that looked anything like control surfaces. Um, and, uh, and when Langley decided to fly it, he, uh, he launched it. Um, he launched it off of a derrick into the Potomac and it went and that was 100 grand on the on the table. The Wright brothers succeeded where no one else had succeeded and everybody else was trying because of the practicality of them. Because of the practicality. That's the that's the word that got us uh heavier than air flight. Wasn't theory, wasn't money, wasn't even really persistence although God knows they had a lot of that. It was the practicality, it was the real the the, the basis in reality. We built this and it's not working. Why not? Well, Let's eliminate the variables. And then they did. And then they went back and then they incrementally made it better. Incrementalism is another reason for their success. And so they finally did it. So then the Wright brothers have their first flight in uh, 1903, December 1903. And, um, and then they disappear. They disappear. And three or four years go by and the Wrights aren't flying. And uh, the reason they're not flying is because they're trying to copyright these things, uh, patent these things rather, that they had spent so much time and effort on. And so there's reports of these Americans having flown, there's photographs, right? But the French and the rest of these British and all of them are saying, hey man, you know, uh, I don't know if they even did it. They're, they're certainly not flying, you know. So somewhere around 1907 or eight, I guess, three, four years after they, maybe it was 1906, there's the world's first gigantic air show in, in, in Paris. It's the first demonstration of flying machines. And by now, at least four or five, six people had figured out a way to do it. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry if I was a turncoat on Trump as far as I'm aware. I've been supporting Trump from the beginning, but you know what? You, you go right ahead and, and believe whatever you want to believe. And thanks for the interruption. Um, so by the time the Wright brothers get to this Paris air show, they're looked upon as essentially like liars. I talked about Frank Luke on the Stratosphere studio show. They look, they're looked on as liars and frauds. And so the French put their airplanes up and the rest of the Europeans put their airplanes up and all these airplanes are turning with the rudder. They're flying straight and level and they're turning with the rudder. And that takes a long time to turn the airplane with the rudder for any number of reasons, but that's what they were doing. And then, um, and then, the Wrights got a chance to, to go fly. And the... 
Yeah. Well, here's something for you to think about. As Derive Pi says, the Wright brothers also flipped on Trump. And I stand with the Wright brothers on that one. Um, <laughs> you, sir, have won the internet for the evening, and thank you for being here. Um, so the Wright brothers get up there, and not only do they fly, they're turning, they're, to say they're turning circles around everything else is just, the French are standing there with their jaws on the ground. They're going, oh, well, I guess, I guess they were right. And it's because the Wright brothers understood that to turn an airplane, the, the, the Europeans were thinking of an airplane like a boat, and you would turn it with a rudder. The Wright brothers were thinking about an airplane as a bicycle, and you would turn it with a bank, and that's why they were so much more successful. Anyway, uh, Langley's thing went into the river because he had all the money he needed and all of the support he needed, and the Wright brothers did everything out of their own pocket. Final thing about the Wright brothers, sometimes it gets so annoyed that I cannot remember the name of, of peoples. The Wright brothers, it was actually three. It was a team of three. It was Orville Wright, Wilbur Wright, and Charles, I want to say Charles, um, he was their mechanic. And the Wright brothers sent out letters everywhere. Um, I'm looking at both. He sent out letters everywhere. They sent out letters everywhere looking for an engine. They needed an engine that weighed a certain amount, and they needed, I think they said they needed 12 horsepower. And 12. Charles Taylor, thank you. Uh, and he's the unsung hero of this whole thing. Charles Taylor, there'd be no right brothers without Charles Taylor. So Charles Taylor is just a guy kind of hung around the shop, you know. He's just kind of a guy. He constructed the wind tunnel. And uh, and Charles is, uh, you know, hanging around, and, and, and they're getting all these things back from these, these are the very first early days of the internal combustion engine, 1903. And the Wright brothers, oh, well, it's impossible to make a 12-horsepower engine that weighs that little. And so um, Charles Taylor just said, well, I'll give it a whack. And he did something revolutionary. He took a block of aluminum, which was fairly precious material at the time. The top of the, the, top of the Washington Monument has an aluminum uh, fixture on the top because aluminum was so rare. It's practically, practically like gold. Charles Taylor takes a big old aluminum block and starts just starts boring some holes in there for the pistons, built this thing out of scratch, fired it up, and sure enough, they got what they needed out of it. And, um, and you know, the rest is history. So um, this is what I feel about SLS. I'm not, I'm not impressed. Uh, yes, and uh, uh, 8855 uh, Reel says, I'm from Dayton, Ohio area. Let's go, Wilbur, Wilbur and Orville. Wilbur and Orville Wright, John Glenn, and uh, Neil Armstrong. It's amazing how much aviation comes out of Ohio. Really, really amazing. Okay, so there's that. Um, in other news, briefly, before we leap into the questions, um, I uh, was at Daily Wire not too long ago. And I had a chance to talk briefly with Jeremy and some other people about uh, Napoleon supposedly had aluminum serving wear. And, you know, here's the thing, Andrew. Napoleon flipped on Trump, too. And that's why I no longer support Napoleon. Um, in any event, uh, I talked to them about it, and I pitched him two shows. One was about the military, and there's a chance that'll happen. I don't think he'll do the other one because the other one is, is a little too much like what Jordan Peterson is doing. However... Um, I wanted to run this past the uh, the hive mind here. So um, we've done, redone the format of, of the right angles. We're doing it twice a week now. We're going to shoot again tomorrow morning at 6.30 Pacific. 
So that's covering pretty much news as it happens. We've got nothing but great feedback about the, uh, not nothing but, but almost exclusively great feedback about the new right angle format. We have heard a couple people, and I pay very close attention to this, uh, a couple of people, just a few who've said, you know, we kind of felt like that backstage show was our own show and stuff. And, and, and I'm very, very sensitive to that criticism because our members have been so generous. They're the ones who said, we don't want our own show, just publicize it. But backstage show was their own show. So here's, um, here's kind of what I'm thinking about, about going forward. Um, uh, keep this right angle format. There was a period there where we did Zoom calls with members. And what I'm, what I'm, what I plan to do, what my intention to do is keep the right angles the way they are. And then once a week, we'll do a Zoom call for members. And then once a week, we will, in addition to that, we'll do a Zoom call for producing members. So if you're a producing member, you can get in on the Zoom call for members and the producing member show. If you're not, then you just get the one. If you get the, the second one, will be a much smaller group because we have fewer producing members and regular members, but I love, um, I love talking live. I love, I love getting the feedback. I love all of that. So um, we're going to incorporate those as our members only content. It'll be something we do at the same time every week. And we will just um, email out a, uh, a, a Zoom uh, link and we'll send that out to all of our members. And then we'll send out the link for the other one to our producing members. And we'll just do it. We'll just do it every, uh, we'll just do it same time every week and I'm committed to doing that I want to do it it was fun when we did it before um, one of the things that we talked about in order to limit this thing because obviously I can just go on forever but um, but zoom I think allows it's either 30 or 40 minutes and then if you go longer than that you have to pay them and there's no way on God's earth that I'm going to pay any money at all not a penny to the Chinese Communist Party so I thought hey you know what that's actually kind of a cool time limit, right? We'll just set up the, 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 the link. Everybody goes to the link. I'll come in, start the thing. Clock runs 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And when Zoom starts saying, it's time for you to either pay up or shut up, I think we'll say, we'll see you. Uh, Marisha says we can do it on Discord for free. Okay, I'm happy to look into that. But um, but there's problems in terms of inviting people. And, and I have to tell you, I don't, um, I've just never been comfortable with Discord, but Zoom is something we can keep private. Phil Trick wants to know, please explain producing members. We have um, two different membership levels, maybe three. One is $9.95 a month, and our top one is $49.95 a month. And um, it's, a, it's a considerably smaller group. But that means that if we do a show for them, then we'll be considerably less, you know, jostling for position. So... Um, Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'll do it on Discord. I'll think it over. Um, I'm just not comfortable with it, and, and I never have been, and I, you know, I don't have time to learn it right now. So for the time being, we will deal with, uh, we'll deal with Zoom, although God knows the Discord's important, and, and, uh, and I need to incorporate that more, and I'm no denying that. I just, it's just a new thing to cram onto the already, you know, badly... Uh, fragmented hard drive and, and that drives right now space. So um, I'm, I'm just going to do that. Uh, so back to back to uh, what I was saying about Daily Wire. So I, I pitched a show about, about me in the military, which I really want to do. Uh, and the other thing I pitched was I, I had titled uh, uh, The Self-Educated American. 
and basically, um, what that was going to be is uh, here's the thing. Some here's the things you should know about if you if you would be considered if you want to consider yourself as basically an educated person. And in the interim, I thought maybe it'd be a little more interesting to call that. Um, here's what you need to know to not be an idiot about dot dot dot. Right? How not to be an idiot on dot dot dot. And they would be pretty short. I'm thinking four or five minutes. But basically, what the plan would be would be it would be a series, an ongoing series, basically an endless series, and certainly something that the members could suggest topics for. But one example would be here's how not to be an idiot on world geography. Right? You got to show the seven continents. You got to you got to show the five oceans. You got to you got to be able to identify, um, you know, twenty countries. I think that's fair, right? Certainly 10, probably 20. How to be an anti-dummy, yeah. It's like, um, it's like, um, so for geography, look, okay, we got, we got to move. Here's a map of the world. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven continents. Europe is a tough one because it's not really a continent. Nevertheless, it's counted as a continent. So there we go. There's a subcontinent here in uh, India, but that doesn't count. North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, and Antarctica. Here are the five oceans, ba-boom, right? Yes. Bart's Treasure says, like sixth grade stuff, exactly. If I can give America a sixth grade education, it would be an enormous improvement over what they're getting now. Because I keep coming back to that video of this guy in, in New York City asking, you know, Gen Zers what, how, you know, how name three countries in the world. And, 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 and they can't, you know. They can't do it. Uh, so, but the fun of it is, is here's what you here's what you need to know about um, geography, grammar, astronomy, airplanes, uh, weapons, U.S. history, world history, um, and it would just keep going and going and going. And they'd be little bite-sized things. But if you and by the way, there's not going to be an awful lot of explaining in them. There'll be a little, for instance, like. How an airplane works, you got to understand Bernoulli's principle and the curved surface of a wing and stuff like that. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. But by and large, for things like geography, I'm not going to be explaining, you know, why this is seven continents. Uh, first time chat. Um, Keith, sorry, it's my eyes. Keith Dobbs, Blair, sorry, Keith, if I got that wrong. When did Bill turn on Trump? I'm not aware that I did, but obviously I'm mistaken. Um, so, so that kind of thing. Now, weapons, great. All of this stuff. Music, perfect. Yes, music. Music is great. So when I say how not to be an idiot about music, what I'm talking about basically is what is harmony? What is rhythm? Right? What is a theme? What are the chords? Right? And basically, here are 10 examples of things you know. Right? You, you, these, these pieces of music you should know. Basic physics, absolutely. And we go on and on and on. And I had the idea because I was driving around home one night and I thought, you know, I know something about everything, pretty much. Um, and uh, Political Animal says I should pitch that to PragerU. Actually, no, I'm going to pitch it to BillWhittle.com members. PragerU's got their own thing. They got, they got it going. They know, they know the way that they're running their things. They've got it all aced. Uh, I've been asking about doing one of those things for eight or nine years. I don't know why, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm above it now. I just don't know. I don't care. It seems like every conservative in the world has been asked to do one of those. I don't know why, but nevertheless, there it is. I'm doing this for the membership. Um, and and I think it's going to be a little bit sassy, you know, a little bit 
um, a little bit less, uh, you know, tell me, professor, just a little more kind of like, I right, look, you know, this, we, th we should know this, right? North American continents and on world geography, you should be able to name, you should be able to locate 20 countries and maybe 10 cities because not all countries are created equals 212, I guess, depending on. Um, and, uh, and especially when you get into Central Africa, it's very difficult. Also, the northern part of South America, even for people who know the basics, it's tough. So it's not a, it would never be an exhaustive course, but it would be the kind of thing where you could identify, you could tell me which, which country Brazil is, right? You could tell me where Japan is. And if you pick the top 10 cities in the, in the world, you know, you have to show me where New York is, where San Francisco is, Chicago. And then you'd have to show me London, Paris, Berlin, Moscow, Tokyo, Seoul. Beijing. Um, Sydney. Sydney, but not Canberra, just Sydney, and not Wellington, because I say to you, New Zealanders, who wouldn't let U.S. Navy uh, nuclear vessels into your country, you're not that important. You don't make the top ten. You get the idea, right? And just have fun. And it's not exhaustive. That's the point. It can't be. You, this is going to be the problem with this theory: is people, why didn't you include this? Why didn't you include that? It's because we have to make it the basics. If you can, if you can basically do, if you can, if you can basically watch this video four or five times until you remember this stuff, then at least you're not an idiot anymore on this particular subject. Uh, Eric Hirsch did this with his what every grade should know. I'm going to make it much simpler than that. Uh, actually, no, I'm not. Um, uh, Keith, I'm not flying along easy anymore. Um, yeah, Kiwis, uh, Dave Big Booty's question mark, wouldn't let our nuclear Navy onto their crappy islands? No, they would not let us um, into port in New Zealand because of, because they're so um, anti-nuclear. I thought, okay, well, that's a convenient, convenient place to be. Um, you know, you don't want to let us import or anything or let us have any shore leave while we're out there in the South Pacific Ocean protecting New Zealand from China. But, you know, whatever, whatever makes you feel good. Um, so, again, if I try to make it exhaustive, nobody will watch it. It's got to be the bare bones minimum. Same thing for grammar, right? A little bugaboo of mine is like, I, so I learned grammar in British grammar schools, that's what they were called. And, um, and my grammar, I would say, is excellent. And I came to America in fifth grade. And when I got to fifth grade in um, Miami-Dade school system out on Key Biscayne Elementary School, uh, they were talking grammar and they were talking about diagramming sentences. And I looked at this and I just said, what is this? This is insane. What, what are you doing? Well, this here, and this is the verb, and this is the, you know, this is the, it's like, are you serious? I'll give you a great example of how simple grammar can be. It's, I learned this, I don't even know when I learned this. It never fails me because it's so bloody simple, right? So the big question is, when do you use and me and when do you use and I, right? Me and I, that's a tough one in English. Is it, is it Susie and I are going to the movies or Susie and me are going to the movies? Or is it, there's a package for Susie and me or there's a package for Susie and I? And while we were struggling with this, our, um, our English teacher, who was English, said, this is very simple. Take away the 
and I am going to the movie or me am going to the movie? Well, it's I am. So Susie and I are going to the movie. Is this package for Susie or me? Take away the Susie. Is this package for I or is this package for me? It's for me. So the package is for Susie and me. Susie and I are going to the movies. Take away the other one and just go with what with that and it's done. You don't have to do any work. It's simple. It's you never get it wrong ever. And little things like, you know, you're going to take your dog to your house. Wait a minute. Yeah. Did I miss one? You're going. I had this right before. You are going to take your, your dog to, no, it's there. It's there. They're going to take their dog over there. That's the one. Okay, so there it is. They're going to take their dog over there. Three different theirs, all spelled differently. This kind of thing, right? You don't say either or or neither nor. Little things. But if you can get those things, you're done. You're, you're golden. So um, same thing for world history. You know, Egyptians came before the Greeks. Greeks came before the Romans. Romans came before the... Uh, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, and blah, 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 blah and, and you're on your way. So I think actually that could be a, a fun thing. And um, and I was thinking about this because uh, I have done theme things before. I did the What We Believe series. I did the Virtual Presidency. And I did um, and I did uh, five for um, TPUSA. They didn't get a lot of mileage. I'm going to just rerun those things uh, called um, We the People V2.0. The first one was money. What is money? Everybody talks about money. Nobody knows what it is. How do you determine the price for something? It's fundamental ground-level stuff. So I'm actually going to start rerunning all of those things. I'm, I was checking one of my backup drives earlier. But somewhere here, I've got the What We Believe series. Somewhere here, I've got the Virtual Presidency series. Somewhere here, I've got um, these TPUSA things. And so I'm also going to open up um, uh, a sub-channel, uh, like a, a, a playlist on YouTube, uh, for the classics, we'll call it the vault, right? So here's the virtual presidency series. That was good stuff, man. Twelve episodes there. The thing I remember about legislation, I think, was the first one, and I had to solve some tough problems with that one. Um, in uh, in the virtual presidency, the first one was on legislation, and the question was, well, here's a. If you were to look at Obamacare, because this thing was done in 2013, you look at Obamacare. Um, the the bill goes to the ceiling. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the hundreds, if not thousands of pages, thousands of pages, and it's unreadable. No one's read it, no one can read it. It is not possible to read. It's designed to be that way. So that left me with the problem, like, okay, well, what would be the upper limit on legislation? If, if you're going to make legislation readable, the, the president can't sign it if he doesn't understand it. You can't understand it if you can't read it. It's been going on forever now. So that gave me an interesting problem. The problem was, if you're going to set an upper limit on legislation, what should that limit be and why? You could arbitrarily say, come up with something, but the answer I came up with I was rather fond of, and that is that the Constitution is 4,440 words long, and it is the operator's manual for the entire government. If you cannot write a bill in less than 4,440 words, then I will veto it sight unseen. How hard is that, you know? The legislation has to have the name of the legislation. It can't have other legislation attached to it as a writer. 
and it should and it can't be um it can't be you know decoy legislation it can't be named like this is the make you know puppies great act of 2022 doesn't have anything to do with puppies you get the idea right so anyway all of this stuff is there so i'm going to bring back some of the classics somewhere i'm trying to find all of the ones i really want to find are the first set of firewalls that i did against the white background with declaration entertainment that's where eat the riches and why we suck and um and a number of others they may already be on my youtube channel but if they are then they're on page 40 so i'll bring those things back and uh crank those babies out and just get back into the whole content thing so that's um that's what i'm playing with number one with the bullet i have that on my desktop number one with the bullet um so anyway there's that so um i'd like to start a new series and um and i'm going to have to produce one before i can go out and do another membership drive but i'm going to basically say look we got the new we got the new um right angle format so we're good six segments a week on on day-to-day -day politics uh we've got um for the members we've got the two different live interactions a week we've got two live shows at nighttime but stretch for lunch stretch for studios and this is our new written content thing um because uh oh the gorn just fell over he sure did he's been drinking i didn't want to say anything but i think it's pretty clear He's just, yeah, he's been drinking. He's had a problem for a long time. I didn't want to talk about it and kind of prop him up for a bit. Um, so anyway, that's that. All right, let's move on, shall we? Uh, as I logged in at the beginning of the night, uh, Marusha Dark said, I bet you I have a feeling Bill's going to start with Facebook questions. I had no intention of doing that whatsoever. But uh, having been, I don't want to make her look like she's not capable of, you know, remarkable feats of uh, either intuition or um, or uh, astral projection, whatever the case may be. So why don't we do that? Uh, about time for a change. And uh, let's see here. Boom, 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 boom. So we'll do a couple of Facebook questions first, and then we will see what's left, and we'll go to billwhittle.com, and we'll get as many as we can. And if not, we will put those in the recycle bin and get to them next time. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, hey, look at that stretch for lunch on Thursday. We have 10 comments. And we'll go to all comments. Uh, first one is um, from Steve Young, who's a top fan, by the way. I might point that out. It needs, needs to be um, emphasized. Uh, and our top uh, fan, Steve Young, has uh, has this to say. Um, Evening, Bill. I'm loving the straight talk from the right angle format. Scott is my anti-hero, and he's doing a great job at counterpoint. Uh, now, on Bill Little Now, I was paying him to be uh, devil's advocate. Now, he's free to speak his mind whenever he wants to. Um, question. If the freshman Republican Congress congressmen do not bring their own staff and the existing and fire the and fire the existing bureaucrats, do they stand a chance of getting anything done? Um, I don't know. I would say there's always a chance of getting something done, but it's not a good start. Uh, I got this directly from Alan West when he got hired at PJTV back in the day around 2009 or 10 or something. 
And, and I had a chance to sit and talk with him for a while. And Alan West told me clearly, he said, look, you know, I was a freshman um, representative and there was the first Republican meeting and we all got together and we're all feeling like, yeah, we're gonna have to change the world. And, and the, uh, the establishment people basically sat down and told us how things work in Washington. And we would say, well, I wanna do this. And they would say, yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately things just don't really work quite that way here. And he's telling me this story, and, and Alan West is no pushover. He felt the same way I did. It's like, you know, I can kind of tend to fly off sometimes. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, if I had just been elected to Congress and I heard somebody, some staffer telling me, you know, uh, Mr. Whittle, uh, that's not how really things work around here. I'm going to be like, well, that's how they're going to be working around here now because I just got elected by the people of, of, of my representative to come and represent them, and you didn't. So you don't get to tell me how things are going to be. I get to tell you how things are going to be. And if you don't like it, you can just bug off. As a matter of fact, I already know you don't like it, so you can just take a hike. We'll figure this out. It's not that hard because I know it's not that hard because I've seen some of the people that have done this job, right? So, yeah, the bureaucracy is the enemy. I heard that Mitch McConnell was reelected. Uh, that's beyond my comprehension, you know, beyond my comprehension. Um, yeah, um, Blake Masters basically said, Mitch McConnell pulled $8 million of advertising away from me and gave it to a Republican or somebody who was running against a Republican. And if they hadn't pulled that, we would have, we would have won that seat in Arizona, although Arizona. And I thought, yeah. And, and, people, and, and Ted Cruz was plenty pissed off about it. And a number of people said, Mitch McConnell would rather be minority leader than be just another voice in the majority. And I have no question about that whatsoever. He gave it to Lisa Murkowski. Perfect. Great. Okay. So he was he was just reelected, right? Senate minority leader. The reason he was reelected Senate Senate minority leader, leader is because we have a minority in the Senate and we wouldn't have a minority in the Senate if Mitch McConnell hadn't been Senate minor, Senate minority leader. He's been there for 100 years. I sat next to him next to, and I say next to him, I mean I sat next to him at an event that for the organization that may or may not exist and he was so proud of the fact that he cut uh, $10 billion from the budget over seven years. And I'm thinking, this guy's just, no, no. I want warriors. Um, uh, I, 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 yeah, Rick, Rick Scott challenged him for the leadership. He should have won. Yes. So the beatings will continue until morale improves. That's all I can, that's all I can say about it. Um, one of the things that we're learning, and it's really important, one of our right-angled subjects, I think this next one coming up will probably release by now or shortly after you see this, um, and that is that uh, if you want to do something about election integrity in Arizona, it's that's not a federal issue. That is a state issue. You've got to have the Secretary of State and pretty much the governor as well. Uh, I don't care what people say. There may be They've had, all had excuses, and the guy who's doing the counting in Maricopa County says we're just following law that the Republicans put in place there. I don't believe it. I don't believe it takes a week to count the number of ballots in a county. I know for a certain fact that for virtually all of my life, right up until 2016, we knew the results of every election in the United States by midnight Eastern time. Because now that we've gone to these fast and inefficient uh, electronic voting machines, now it takes weeks to count. 
the, um, the primary problem with the electoral system is really simple. It was explained to me in a way that I understood it. And to me, I think this is, uh, I think somebody with an R out after the name ought to be making this point because it's actually very, very simple. Okay? Um, when you have a voting system, if you don't know how many votes go into the system, then you have no way of knowing if the vote is accurate. In other words, if I've got a voting system and it's a box, it's an opaque box, and I know that 100 people voted, that there were 100 ballots put into that box, and the results coming out of that box, one guy gets 40 votes, another guy gets 60 votes, I can have a fair amount of confidence that that's an accurate result. But if I have 100 votes going into the box and one guy gets 60 uh, votes and the other guy gets 80 votes, then we have a problem, right? We could tell we have a problem because of simple mathematics. If you don't know how many actual legitimate votes are going into the system, you will never be able to know or prove that there was fraud or not. So the problem is not on the back end so much as it's on the front end. Back in the days when you used to have to go and prove who you were and register in advance and go down on election day and drop your, your ballot in the box, the reason those elections had credibility was because the voting rolls tell us what the maximum total number of votes is, and it can't exceed that, and there's a paper trail on all of them. Um, so once you get into, you know, a lot of people think that the biggest problem is the electronic voting machines. I think they're the second biggest problem. The biggest problem is voting month. 700,000 people had voted before Fetterman's um, on-camera debate. Why is it that it's oh, that the Democrats are pushing for this? Why? Why? Well, it's because everything that the Democrats are pushing for makes it easier to cheat. Everything the Republicans at least say they're standing for makes it harder to cheat. And because Republicans are so completely inept at any kind of a, of a, of a moral argument, they simply let it go by. Well, you guys just want to limit voting. You're trying to suppress the black vote. What do you mean we're trying to suppress the black vote? Well, have, requiring an ID is, is harder on people of color. Says who? Says you? Yes, it's people of color can't get, can't get IDs. As he, as, let me make sure I understand this, Mr. Mr. Democratic imaginary spokesperson. Um, you're telling me that in your opinion, black people are either too stupid or too lazy or both to get an ID card? Is that is that the case you're trying to make here to me now? Because I maintain that that's racist and ridiculous and patently false. But that's what they think. That's what these young progressive think on college campuses, right? Oh, it suppresses the black vote. How so? Really? Having an ID? So what you're saying is, what you're saying is black Americans uh, never buy beer or wine. Black Americans Certainly black Americans never ride on airplanes. Most black Americans look up and see these things moving through the sky and they think they're gigantic silver birds. They haven't got any idea. What, what Black people on an airplane? No, it's impossible. That's what they say about black people. They say that black people cannot get IDs or it's hard for them to get IDs. And then when you ask black people if they should have an ID, they all say yes. So why aren't we kicking these people in the teeth for their racist, sickening, disgusting, uh, uh, disparaging, condescending lie, right? The lie. Why? Because we are afraid to do the thing that the one thing that they cannot survive and that is kick away the moral high ground. We just walk into it, we just buy it.
right? Just buy it. Oh, well, you know, well, we're not racist. No, of course we're not racist. You're the racist. You're the one who's saying that, that this entire population of people who need an ID virtually on a daily basis, like everybody else, you're saying that black people don't have bank accounts. They don't go to, uh, to stores to buy, to buy things like alcohol and beer like other people do. They never have to get on an airplane. They never have to go into a, a courtroom. They never do it. This is what you're saying. And we just go along with it. Well, well you know, I guess, you know, I might, you know, you know. No. This is a golden opportunity to kick these, these racist swine right in the, right in the knee and, and not stop. Right? Just keep going. I don't want to overly reiterate what I've said on so many shows, but seriously, this is where my head is now. It changes every couple years, you know, priorities, and you have to, re have to react to what has already happened. I saw that. There might be a recount between uh, Lake and Hobbs. If it's counted by the same people, you'll get the same result. So I'll get to that in a minute. So great examples. I've used them before. I'm going to tell them again just because some of you may not have heard it and everybody needs to. You need to know these things. This is These are the kind of little information bombs that you need to have handy. And one of them is regarding the abortion issue. Whatever you want to say about the abortion issue, you can be pro-abortion or anti-abortion. That's your business. I have an opinion on this. But when we say, when we say, when they say it's my body, my choice, and we don't stop them right there, then um, then we lose. When people say that, when you hear the progressives saying that, or the Democrats saying it's my body, my choice, the answer to that is, I couldn't agree with you more. 100% correct. Yes, your body. You, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your body. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the guy to tell you that you have to put something into your body or you can't. You want to lop off your fingernails or cut your hair or chop off other parts. It's your business. It's not my business. It's got nothing to do with me. The, the problem with your argument is, is that this, this fetus is not your body. It's in your body, but it's not your body. It has its own DNA. It has its own circulatory system. Many times it doesn't even have your blood type. If you were to take your blood directly into that fetus or vice versa, you would die. The DNA from that fetus is not your DNA. It is not your body. It's in your body, but it's not your body. So let's stop right there and, and deal with it like that. And when you pl start playing by that game, you have a chance to win. But once you agree, once, once you say, oh, well, we're pro-life and they're pro-choice, these are advertising terms. You know, don't do it. Of course we're pro-choice. We're, we're all about choice. That's what, that's what Republicans and conservatives are. We're about choice. You should be able to do whatever the hell you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And the problem with this position you have on abortion is it hurts somebody else. It's somebody else. It's not you. Period. Right? I think there should be free health care. Me too. 100%. I'm 100% in favor of free health care. Absolutely. If you can figure out how to do health care for free, then by God, uh, I am as with you as I possibly can be. But it's not free. We both know it's not free. So calling it free health care is a lie. That means that we have to figure out how do we pay for this, and now all of a sudden we win again, you know? And we just don't seem to know how to do it. We just don't. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's easy for me, but there you go. So to answer your question, Steve, the, the, the immortal bureaucracy is the, um, is the hardened arteries of our republic. Right? It's, the, it's the immortal bureaucracy that fossilizes everything, that stops people from making the kind of changes to the system that the government was set up to allow. Change the House every two years, right? 
Every two years, the American people have a chance to say, we don't like where we're going. But if it turns out that every two years you bring in people who want to make changes and those changes are overridden either consciously or, or, or surreptitiously, I talked to an Arizona state senator who said that I basically introduced a bill to Congress, was prepared by my aides, and when I read it, the bill was the antithesis of what I told them I wanted. They just plain changed it. They changed it. That to me is, that's not just malfeasance of duty, that's a lawsuit, right? That, and, and, and I'm against lawfare, but if you're dealing with people that are just beaning you on, on every pitch, you know, if they're just throwing for your face or throwing for your head, it's time for a few brushback pitches of your own, don't you think? Two can play at this game. This, is, this isn't just even common sense, this is game theory, it's a mathematical certainty. People who take advantage of people will take advantage of you to the limit that you allow them to take advantage of you. And they will keep going until you stop them. And if you don't stop them, then they'll just keep going until you're gone. And I don't know why we can't seem to figure that out. But, um, but all of this stuff, you see, all of this stuff, the, the, the recount, right? So, so here's, look, here's what they did in 2020. They denied Trump's election in 2016. They never stopped. Right? Stacey Abrams never stopped saying she was the rightful governor of Arizona, but I watch, I know, I know what preparing the battle space looks like in terms of the narrative. So since the 2020 election, there have been two things that they've been doing. They've been saying that anybody who questions the integrity of the 2020 election is a lunatic, and much, 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 much more important, the January 6th investigations are not about the people who were there on January 6th. It's not about them. It's not got anything to do with them. What the January 6th investigations are there for is to prepare the field for when Americans reach enough of a point when they said, that's it, we've done. We, we tried every legal means at our disposal. We are no longer going to obey these laws that you are now mandating on us. We have an agreement. We have the social contract. We agree to follow the laws, and you agree that we determine who makes the laws. If you're going to take your side out of it and, and make it so that we can't win elections anymore, well, then we're just going to have to re resort to the next step. And they've got it set up now so that after all of this talk about insurrection and, and, and violent uprisings and not obeying, you know, Republicans have no respect for the law, where do you go? What happens when, when you have enough of these cases where you say, you know what, the system is just not working. And I, I want confidence in the system. You're not going to give it to me. Now what do we do? Well, now they've got it set up so they can call out the army and, and, and have prepped the battle space that these mega MAGA Republicans are, are basically, you know, just a bunch of lawless radicals who, traitors as well. And this is how it works, right? This is how it works. Uh, Quipo says, uh, how do we reach the Zoomers? The Zoomers came out to vote blue. How do we reach the Zoomers? Well, we reach the Zoomers by video game language. That's a whole nother argument. If I had the resources, I could be doing all of these things, but I don't. So I have to do them sequentially instead of in parallel, and I'm running out of time, I'm 63. You know, so um, now Eric Blake's on to the point here. The, you, you can you can beat these people. They're very skilled rhetorically, but they're also very stupid. So you can beat them. All of the bleeding that they do, our democracy, our democracy is at risk, our democracy is at risk. And we basically, we basically combat that. We should be rolling with that. We should be saying, God, couldn't agree more. Uh, Joe, 
I'm very concerned about our democracy and so on. So since you think that the democracy is at risk, and so do we, right, that means we should implement whatever things we can to make the democracy more secure, right? For example, why are these votes counted in secret? I know why there's a, I know why you cast your vote in secret. I don't know why it's counted in secret. I don't know why there aren't 50 webcams in every single counting center in the country. I don't know why a US citizen cannot get on any of these webcams and watch the votes being counted at any time of the day or night. Doesn't affect the outcome. The election is over, but then you get then you get the power of mass of distributed intelligence, right? Because if you made every single voting center with 10, 20 webcams, just a live stream, doesn't have to be all the time, just while you're actually counting the votes. Then you got people, the the the, the guys who describe themselves as weaponized autism, then those people start looking at the counts. There are people who would say they just keep a running score. They would just count them up. Why don't they do that? They haven't explained that to me yet. I remember in 2020 when there was this counting center behind these large planes of glass, panes of glass rather, and planes, panes of glass, and then they started putting up these white cardboard things so that the people couldn't see the people who were counting, couldn't keep their eyes on them. How do you explain that? I don't know. Yeah, single white women came out in droves. Okay, so the beatings will continue until morale improves. Now let me say something about single white people, uh, single white women. I don't have anything like the backing or the uh, or the resources of either Daily Wire or Blaze or anything like that, and that's my choice. But I do listen to sources that are of a different nature than the sources that Ben and Mike Knowles and Glenn Beck and, and Dave Rubin listen to. I am not listening to just political messages. In fact, I'm trying to listen to them as little as possible. I'm listening to the culture. I want to know what the culture's doing because the culture will tell you what's coming. I've been, I'm not going to spend any more time with this. I spent the last two years on this. The culture has decided that they hate woke politics and they will walk away from them. But what's, what's happening lately, and when I say lately, I mean I've started to notice it as a significant cultural event within the last three or four weeks. It's that new. Last three or four weeks, I'm starting to see a large number of videos coming out that are saying very important things. I'm seeing a lot of videos coming out from young single women who are talking about the raw deal that men are getting. I'm seeing a lot of those all of a sudden out of nowhere. I'm seeing more and more and more young women basically saying to other young women, you wonder why there's nobody out there to date on Tinder? You wonder where all the good men have gone? Why should they date you? What have you? What are you possibly offering them except to bitch them out and then, and then bail on them after, after they marry you? What what possible reason would they, would they be attracted to you? I'm I'm hearing that a lot. That's a swing. I'm hearing I'm hearing now, from black people. I'm hearing a lot of defense of white people from black people, especially white males from black people are saying, the only people in this society you can say anything about and who has to take it are white men. That's it. Period. That's important. Um, I heard, oh, what was the other one? Um, I'm, women who, who came out and, and basically, you know, to the degree that you can count on the results of the election, the women that came out and blunted the red wave are unhappy and they're getting more unhappy. And they're now at the point where they're so unhappy, taken as a group, taken as a group, they're now at the point where they're so unhappy 
that they're actually starting to question the assumptions that made them unhappy in the first place. Jordan Peterson talks about this. He knows what he's doing. He's a psychologist. He's saying, you find women in, who, are, who are 40 years old and they've got $400,000 in the bank and they're sitting at home watching TV alone with their cats. Those are not happy people. Um, and all of this stuff is happening and it's, and it's new. It's new. It's a change. I remember two or three years ago when I watched the pop culture channels four or five years ago now get furious at what they were doing to Star Trek and Star Wars, what the, the left was. They were furious and then they were outraged and then they were resigned and now they just don't care. They just don't care. And that will have consequences. What I've been saying since the election is we got to get our brand together because there's a lot of people leaving the Democratic Party, but they're not coming to the Republican Party. They're just leaving the Democratic Party. What if we were to give them something attractive to come to, like a brand, you know, like a brand, like we're the people who think you can spend your money better than we can. We're the people who think you should be left alone to do whatever you want to do unless you start to harm somebody else. And when we say harm somebody else, we mean harm them, not just upset them, not just offend them. We mean actual harm. We should be doing all of this stuff. We're the people who say if you want to be a skateboarder and you want to keep riding your skateboard, we're the ones that want you to do that. They're the ones that are sooner or later going to tell you, no, it's too, it's too expensive for the healthcare system. They're going to, they want to tell you how to do everything. We're just not, we're so far behind the ball on the, on the, on the messaging that, you know, it's just shocking, shocking to me. Now, there are some bright pictures in this. I watch everything that Josh Harley comes out with. Uh, every time I see him speak, in, you know, questioning FBI or, or justices or, or some woke professor, every time I watch Josh talk, I feel like there's still a good chance for this country. There's still a real good chance. This is what it looks like. This is what, not what democracy looks like. This is what a republic looks like. And I watch him grilling these people, and I, and I think, all right. Same, same way I felt about Trey Gowdy. So there are people who get it. Um, and, uh, and what we have to do is we simply have to stop being on the defensive when it comes to the moral issue. They say that ballot, ballot harvesting is a way for everybody to get their vote in. I say it's a way for everybody to cheat I'm not saying anything. Everything I'm saying is not designed to get people not to vote. What I'm saying is if you allow cheating into the system, cheating is voter suppression. If you cheat, you take away my vote. And I find it odd that all of the suggestions here have nothing to do with impacting anybody, right? It's not saying black people can't vote. It's not saying that certain people have to have an ID and others don't. It's saying that you have to make it, you have to show who you are and you have to show up on election day so that you don't get to vote before this, you know, revelation occurs. And furthermore, the more time you have to vote, the more easy it is to cheat. We're saying we're the ones who, who are who are trying to protect the democracy, damn it. You're the ones who are trying to screw it up. 
Whether you're actually screwing it up or not is not really the point. I have an opinion on this, but you have now reduced this, the, the people's belief into this system so that if Republicans win, the Democrats are convinced that, that they cheated. And if the Democrats win, the Republicans are convinced that they cheated. That's the end of democracy. You're bleeding about democracy nonstop. Let's defend our democracy. Let's have a system that we can all depend on. And the way you do that is you have a system that where nobody ever takes their eye off of the ball, right? That ballot, wherever that ballot comes out of that, that booth, there's somebody watching that the whole step of the way. And if you really want to get people out of their comfort zone, if you want to get them out of their trenches, you can say, look, you should be in favor of this. If you're, if you're a, a, a lifelong Democrat, you should be in favor of this because this would be a way to stop Republicans from cheating, right? Let's look at it that way. You want to look at it that way? I don't care. It's fine with me. I don't care. Uh, Woody Fool says mail-in isn't going away. Demand ID with signatures or actual signature verification. Well, mail-in has to go away. Okay, mail-in has to go away. Mail-in is the problem. Right? You don't have to watch 2,000 Mules to know that mail-in is the problem. I'm going to be doing an interview with somebody named uh, Ruth Weiss, who's in charge of the Voter Integrity Project here in Los Angeles. When I say doing an interview, I'm going to interview her. She has been on the ground. She's the one who is at the voting center. She's not a theoretician. She's not at a university. She is the person who watches this stuff happen in front of our eyes. And when I talked to her at a speaking event I did last week, beginning of this week, I said, what can we do? What she said really surprised me and also uh, encouraged me. I said, Is there, what can you do to, to be sure about this? She says, well, Republicans are saying we need to vote early because the Democrats are voting early. She says, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. She said, the best chance of your vote being accurately counted is for you to be there in person and drop it into the tabulating machine on election day. If you, she said, if you mail in your vote a month before the election, that gives them a month to know how many votes they need in order to overturn the outcome. It gives them more time to, 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 to figure it out. She said the thing about going in person and dropping it in the box is once you, once you do that, there are Republicans and Democrats watching you drop it in that box. There are Republicans and Democrats watching that box doing the counting center. And there are Republicans and Democrats watching those votes being tabulated. It's practically impossible to cheat that way, she said. But mail-in voting, how many times, I mean, how, for those of you who haven't seen 2,000 mules, what, what, what more proof do you need, right? 100 ballots, some guy shows up with a mask over his face, wearing a balaclava, dumps 200 ballots into a mailbox? No. And this business, of, and by the way, we're still not addressing the issue, right? We're still not addressing the issue, because the issue is you're trying to say that convenience is more important than trust. And I say trust is more important than convenience. I say it's not an inconvenience to me once every two years to have to dedicate two or three hours to go do something that we can all trust. So this argument about, oh, it's much more convenient. I don't care how convenient it is. I don't care. You really want to make it convenient? You can make it a button on um, on YouTube. I vote for these guys. You make it a button anywhere. You can just build it into the system. You can start. I can cast my votes between now and 2030. I'll just select generic D's all the way down. That's convenient too. It's got nothing to do with convenience. You're using convenience as an excuse to lower trust. And the reason you would be doing that is so that you can cheat. If you've got another explanation for why you are constantly making it easier to cheat other than the fact that you want to cheat, I'm happy to listen to it. But I won't hear anything about that because we all know why they do that, right? So, boom.
I've heard, I hear the objections to the film may sound like what someone who is trying to say uh, off fish would say. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, uh, Ben needs more uh, proof after watching Mules. Okay, I, of the people in the trade that I know relatively well, I know Dinesh D'Souza relatively well only because we've had a chance to talk about non-political stuff maybe four or five times. Uh, I find him to be a person of very high credibility, and I don't think that he faked that video. The fact of the matter is, if somebody is dropping 100 ballots off in the middle of the night, and even if it's 100% legal, even if it's 100% authentic, it still stinks, right? So the way you go at this is to basically say, look, at this point, it doesn't even matter whether there's cheating or not. If half of the country believes that it's cheating, and the other half doesn't because that one half won and the other half lost. You don't have a democracy anymore. You sure don't have a republic anymore. And if you're saying that the complete loss of faith in our system is something that we're going to just exchange for it to be easier for people, is how they win. It's how they win. Um, uh, I just caught my name here, P7 2017, Bill Whittle uh, in YouTube. What good is changing Republicans' branding going to do with the information distribution system is going to keep it from the people? Well, that's a good question, but the, but the bottom line is, I can answer this probably right now. So given the anti-conservative, anti-Republican bias of the information distribution system, we're still more or less 50-50 as a nation, right? If we had an actual brand, then that's such a net gain that, you know, look, that world is changing too. Elon Musk buying Twitter is the most important thing that has happened in the last, since Obama's elected. And it's not because he's going to allow discussions and it's not because he's, he's you know, allowing this or banning that. It's not that. The reason Elon Musk buying Twitter is so important is once he owns Twitter, he does. Now he can look at what the algorithms do and why. Elon Musk isn't a conservative, but he is a but he does get free speech. And I know he's hired a lot of kept a lot of people who were the problem in the first place. I get it. I know there's a lot of super progressive still on that advisory board. I get all that too, right? But when you fire half the staff, that's not just talk, that's some action. It doesn't have to necessarily have a direct physical effect on the other tech giants. It's a blowback pitch. By the way, speaking of the tech giants, what do we got? We got Twitter, we got Instagram, which is getting a little more important, but not terribly political, right? We got Instagram, sorry, we got Twitter, we got Facebook, and we've got YouTube, right? You're not going to buy YouTube because it's owned by Google. YouTube we're just stuck with. But Twitter is certainly more open than it was previously, and, and Facebook is going out of business. They're just going out of business. Zuckerberg had a great idea, and then he politicized it. And that made it a less great idea. But that's not what's ruining Facebook. Zuckerberg is such a... Zuckerberg is so far out on the spectrum that Zuckerberg bet the farm on the fact that people would prefer to live online in his little metaverse with his big, heavy virtual reality set. He bet the farm on that being something that people want. And that's the dumbest decision that's happened since um, since uh, New Coke, right? You watch him trying to sell the metaverse. Have you seen these cringeworthy commercials of him trying to talk about the metaverse, his metaverse? 
He's got that dead-eyed reptile scare. And, he's, and even better than that, you get to if you want to go shopping, you'll have uh, you'll have a virtual shopping cart, and you can push it down the aisles of a virtual uh, supermarket, and you can just pick up things and put them in your shopping cart. I'm thinking, why would I do that online? Why? Why? Yeah, I mean. Uh, I'm sorry, it's those pale green letters I have a hard time with. Keith Dobbs, Keith, says Elon Musk is a technocrat. Careful there. Yes, he is. Elon Musk is the, is the evil technocrat that I distrust the least. So, okay. There you go. We're past, peace, we're past peak Facebook. There's no question about that. The thing that I find most encouraging about Musk is that he has in a roundabout way, talked about where he wants to take Twitter and it sounds like he wants to take Twitter into something that is more content-friendly. I've heard him talking about things like being able to attach videos and so on. And unlike Rumble, look, we, all of our videos get posted on Rumble. That's, that's our, all the videos get posted on Rumble. And furthermore, everything that we link to on our website goes to the Rumble uh, listing, not the YouTube listing. But Rumble is, we'd love somebody to come up with a number. I'd be willing to bet you it's well less than 1% of the viewership of YouTube at any given time. Got to go where the people are. But Twitter is different. Twitter is a network, and that network already exists. The, the, the network effect that cripples Rumble or D Donald Trump's truth media or whatever. Got a much smaller problem um, with Twitter. If Musk decides that he's going to technically figure out a way to have people attach videos on Twitter, then, okay, I don't know, we'll see. Um, Woody Fool says, then again, my students are finally suspecting TikTok. Um, yeah, Elon just fact-checked Lizzie Warren. I saw, Elon, I saw Twitter fact-check the president. Oh, excuse me, you know, the president, asterisk. Um, and, uh, and so it's getting better. We're not out of the woods. We're not even into the woods yet. Well, let me rephrase that. We can't see the end of the woods. We're not out of the woods. We can't even see the forest setting, but we're at least heading in the direction, right? The, we're heading in the right direction. So if it turns out that they control all these media outlets, we used to talk about the mainstream media, right? They've got, well, they've got CNN, they've got NBC, ABC, and so on. Every single day that goes by, that matters less and less and less, right? Nobody watches ABC News. Nobody watches CBS News. Nobody doesn't. The only, it, they just don't. It's not, you know, Greg Gutfeld is outdrawing The Tonight Show. And, and I'm not surprised about that, but it is, an, it, that is a data set, right? That's a, it's a pretty profound data point when Greg Gutfeld is got the number one late night talk show because Stephen Colbert decided to turn The Tonight Show, which was always a non-political show, or at the very least a fair, a somewhat fair political show, will attack the president, whoever that person has to be. When Greg Gutfeld has the, the number one late night show in the country, then okay. And of all the people, I, uh, Eric Gutz is still no super chats. I talked about it at this beginning, Eric. I was gonna have him tonight and I just plain forgot him. I swear to God, I will get to these things. And I know how, how awful it looks and I feel worse about it than you do. I, I, you just have to take my word for that. Um, uh, YouTube has not ever explained removing Crowder. Did they drop Crowder completely? I know they dropped um, um, Stefan Molyneux, and he's just disappeared off the face of the earth. 
Um, now, the, of all the people and the phone calls I need to make when I can finally get underneath this, out from underneath this, uh, this script writing load, the first person I need to talk to is Greg Gutfeld. I was on Red Eye five times. And uh, last time I was on Red Eye, now, we'd been drinking heavily, obviously, after the show, but he said, Bill, if you lived in New York, I'd have you on every week. I said, well, I don't, but I'm happy to come out. Uh, that's back when Red Eye was, uh, you know, I remember, I think in East Coast, I think I had to stay up till 3 a.m. to watch it, something like that. So, yeah, people, I want to go back to what I said a minute ago about these videos of young women saying that they're not being fair to young, they're not being fair to men at all. I'm hearing a lot, a lot of these kind of comments, and I'm hearing them from everywhere. So this tide is turning, and it's turning upstream of the politics. So let's, um, let's see what we can do about that. Um, Crowder, uh, Crowder has, the, you know, the blaze beside him, and so does, um, um, good Lord, these brain, these brain freezes are going to be the end of me. Um, here's his face right in front of me. Uh, Ruben, Dave Ruben, you know, Blaze or uh, Daily Wire. These are, they've got some horsepower behind them. Um, so, anyway, um, that's it. So now all we have to do, frankly, to answer your question after half an hour, is yes, they own the information airwaves, but their control over them is loosening, and we are more or less tied with them, and we're tied with them without a brand, and we're tied with them without fighting back effectively. You just don't, we just once again don't know how to hit them where they live, which the, the only thing they've got is their moral, their unearned moral superiority. Kick that away and they've got nothing. So I plan to kick it away. I'm going to do. Uh, and um, and uh, I, um, I don't have to have the reach. I just have to have the weapon. I don't have to beat the whole army as long as I'm manufacturing the hand grenade. That's something, anyway. Um, but their system isn't working, and it, and it works less well every year. And, you know, a lot of these Gen Zers came out because they wanted to knock 10 grand off of their, uh, their bills, off of their um, student debt. Biden knew that he didn't have the legal power to do that when he made the promise. And a few days after the election, it became clear that he didn't have it, so they're not going to get their 10 grand. Now, that means he wins races that we should have won in 2022. What happens in 2024 when, um, when that $10,000 reduction that everybody was promised doesn't happen? I don't know. But it seems to me that's an opportunity for us if we only had the common sense to take it and then just, just put the rhetorical knife between the ribs and just plain twist it until they give up. You know, just boom. Barbara Russell says, tried a couple times, not working. Uh, Barbara, that was probably because we started late. Hopefully you're watching now. It'd be nice to know. Uh, back to uh, Facebook. Jacob Belichick. Hail Bill. Hail Jason. Want to give you a clap on the back for the new right angle format. Steps in the right direction, I think. Thank you. 
One of the things I believe is hardest to come to terms with on, on the right is that people we oppose think so little of lying. Amen to that, brother. They think nothing of lying to your face about things that are blatantly obvious, and they do it so brazenly that it staggers me. The thing that troubles me most about Donald Trump is his tendency to do the same, see Ted Cruz's father killing JFK, and yet the left and Trump seem to experience great success with this method, or at least never really seem to pay any penalty for it. As a Christian myself, I find it fundamentally foolish to speak the native language of the devil and expect good things, but at the same time, there's clearly a role of deception for warfare. In the light of this, is there also a role for deception in politics? No, there's, I don't think there's a role for deception. I don't think that there's no question they're deceiving us, and I don't think the answer is for us to deceive people either. The truth is our strongest ally. That's our, that's our main practical ally is speaking the truth. We don't get caught up with um, hypocrisy when we speak the truth because, as I've said many times, the great thing about being a conservative is you get to say one thing and then do the same thing. So the truth is our most important ally, and giving up the truth is, is a tantamount to completely disarming yourself and not only losing the fight but deserving to lose the fight. It's not the lying that's the problem. It's the, rather, it's not the lying that needs to be duplicated. It's the, and it's not the willingness to lie. It's not the, it's not the win at any cost. None of that I'm in favor of. What, what I'm in favor of is understanding, understanding the rhetorical tricks that they play so that you can turn the fact that they're lying against them. A good example of this was when we were talking about, oh, just a few weeks ago now, seems like an age when it looked like we we're going to win, you know, pick up five seats in the Senate and so on. If we had the House and the Senate, then my theory was make, pass, as Republicans, pass a lot of laws that are on the brand. And a good example of them would be the Protect Our Daughters Act of 2023 which basically goes to the president and says, because of this idea that one person who feels uncomfortable with who they are is allowed to compete in women's sports to the detriment of 10 or 15 million biological girls, we simply say no. It will be against the law for transsexual males to compete in women's sports for the obvious reasons. And the obvious reasons are, just look at the outcome when that happens. It's not fair to young women. That allows us to be the champion of real women. And most importantly, it goes to, the, goes to Biden's desk, and then Biden has to veto it. Make him veto things that show who he really is. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about doing. There's no lying involved with that. On the contrary, you're basically just putting the truth into an effective package. Make him veto everything that you send that makes sense to regular people. We think that there should be a middle-class tax cut because things are tough and we think people know how to spend their money better than the government does. Make them veto it. Make them veto all of this stuff. We want to be able to drill for gas and oil so that we can lower gas prices for Americans. This is the, this is the essentially the Give an American a Break Act of 2023, right? Gas prices are killing the country. The number one reducer, I'm not, don't even bother to argue the, 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 the climate point yet. That, that's so deep in the system. That's going to take a long time to weed that thing out. That's their ultimate lever, by the way. But you say, listen, just state the facts. The one country in the world, by far, it's not even close. The, the, uh, not even close. The one country on the planet that has done the most reduction of carbon emissions is the United States, by far. 
Nothing's even in the same boat, right? So, okay, so reason we reduced our carbon emissions was because of natural gas. Burns cleaner than oil does, burns much cleaner than coal does. So you want to reduce carbon? You think that's important? We're leading the world in that. And I think that we should be able to simply just go with that. We need more, we need more low-cost energy. You need to be able to go to work without it costing you your food budget. Make him veto that, but write it in such a way that it's not a 3,000-page bill. Make it a two, make it a one-paragraph bill, right? Period. Here it is, Joe. Gas prices are too high. The reason they're too high is because the federal government, which under the previous administration had us not only energy in, uh, independent, but energy exporters, you have changed the conditions of that. So now people can no longer pay for their gasoline to go to work in, and you're doing it for your radical lunatics on the, on the, on the green side of your party. And we're saying American people deserve a break. And here's the break. This solves the problem. Make him veto it, right? Make him veto it. And then once he vetoes it, keep hitting him on it. Why would you, why would you veto something like this? It's not political. This isn't the elect Republicans at any cost bill. This is a bill that says we want to lower gas prices for Americans. And the only way to do it is because this is how things work. When something's scarce, there's more, costs more. When there's something plentiful, it costs less. So we're going to make it more plentiful. Price will come down. Very simple. Right? Why won't they do that? Because they don't know how. They don't know how. They're just plain. The Republicans are all. They're all, to the degree that they're about anything, is they're about solutions rather than the root problem, right? They're not about the cause. They're about the root problem. I don't mean to give away since I, I mean, look, this show gets recorded and seen more, 10 times more people watch it recorded than watch it live, but I do the show for the live viewers. So I think we talked about this on one of the right angles, and uh, I don't know if it's come out yet, but nevertheless, here it is again, right? So look, as a, philosophically, I am completely opposed to government handouts and government programs. Any kind of government program for here's free condoms, here's free this, here's free that, I'm against on principle. But, but the way you can win this thing is instead of when you run into these women who are making this argument, you know, my body, my choice, right? The, 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 the best way to listen to this, the best way to, to beat this is to say, look, you're saying that, that women need an abortion because they find themselves with unwanted pregnancies and that in many cases they're simply unable to handle this burden. So what you really want is you don't want the abortion. You want, you, you, you want to be able to do something about the unwanted pregnancy. That's why you are so adamant about abortion is because it's the only solution available after conception. Right? So you don't, you're not arguing so much for abortion so much as you're arguing that you shouldn't have to carry a baby to term. That's your argument. That's what you're saying. And I've been in the heat of passion myself, and I know how these things work, right? Why don't we just say, well, what do you know? We are 100% with you on this, right? Completely, we're completely with you on this, 100%. We don't, you don't want unwanted pregnancies. We don't want un, unwanted pregnancies. We don't want unwanted conception. So they have... Theoretically, theoretically, I'm not arguing for this, I'm just making the point from a practical point of view. If you could throw a switch so that humans having sex would not result in children unless you hit a button that says, I do want this to result in children, 
then the abortion problem would go away. In other words, if the default position of human sexual activity was no pregnancy possible, and that the only way to have children would be to say, I would like to have children, then abortion goes away, right? And that's what we want, right? So would I be in favor of the government issuing at no expense these implants that basically uh, prevent you from getting pregnant for five years with a 99.97% success rate? 100% I would, yes, I would, 100%. And, and to people who say, well, you're encouraging, uh, you know, uh, an immoral lifestyle. I'm not encouraging anything. What I am saying is the problem is, is that these, is that there are millions and millions and millions of children that are aborted in this country, and that problem I would like to solve. Then you can basically say we're on the same side, right? We want, we want the same side. We want the same things. We're not enemies. We're just treated, we're told that we're enemies, but we're not. You don't want to get pregnant without you don't want to get pregnant without wanting to get pregnant. And we want that too. So why don't we do this? Right? STDs, STDs are a problem for the people who, who consensually engage in this activity. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the results of people that, that engage in this activity. Right? So, so why don't we try to do that? This whole mess is in caps. This whole mess is the way it is in the first place because we think sex has nothing to do with babies. Well, that's probably true. I mean, I think even the least educated people are aware of the fact that this is a possible outcome. But thinking ahead is not is not the problem for for most people. And I don't look. I don't know about you, but I don't know any males that have never been in that uh, situation. Right? You know heat of the moment is the heat of the moment. If you were to basically say that, now when we talked about this on one of the right angle shows, we said that this, this implant thing, it's reversible, right? I'm not talking about, oh, we got a raid. Hooray. Uh, if you were to look at solving the problem that way by basically saying yes, for 10 minutes in the doctor's hospital and a tiny little bit of local anesthetic, if that, then you can have all the sex you want to without getting pregnant. Then unwanted births go away. Now, somebody said that that, that that implant only lasts for about five years and apparently is not good after that. Okay, but if you were to take a five-year window, I bet you anything that most of the abortions occur within that five-year window of age, 18 to, you know, 23, somewhere in there. Okay. Now, is this a solution? No, it's not a solution. The solution is, 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 is to think constructively. The solution is to do all of the moral things that are there. But we're not talking about, we're not talking about even fixing the boat now. We're just talking about plugging the holes, right? We're just trying to stop this thing from sinking. So there is a solution to this. It's not only a biological solution, but it's also a political solution. It basically says we want the same things as, as you do. All those women out there that want to kill conservatives want to kill conservatives because conservatives are doing what they can to stop the killing of unborn children. But what they really want is they want to not have to become pregnant for sexual activity. That's what they want. That's what we want. The technology is there to do it, so why don't we just plain think about that? 
And to whatever objections you can raise to being a part of that, those are legitimate objections, but is the gain not worth it, right? I mean, if you save 20 million lives, 50, whatever, doesn't that, isn't that worth it? Is it worth a try, right? Uh, Becky uh, says, don't be ridiculous, it's already available. Do you want it for all girls? What the I don't want to make it anybody, I don't want anybody to tell anybody else what to do with their body, right? I'm not. But it's not widely advertised, it's not widely known, and the beautiful thing about that is it is essentially five years of foolproof. And by the way, by the way, if you could make the same thing for males, then not only would I be in favor of it, but I think that actually would be more successful right? Because people say, well, if, if a woman gets pregnant, the man can just walk away. That's true for the moment, but if it turns out that that baby is born and then they can prove that that male is the father of that baby, then that young man is financially responsible for that child for the next 18 years. There's a lot of young men that don't want that option either, right? So you're not talking about, you're not talking about I'm not talking about a perfect solution to the problem because there is no perfect solution, but I am talking about something that could significantly reduce the harm. And right now, significantly reducing harm is where I am and where I am going to be for a while. So um, so anyway, Jacob, no, you don't, you don't, deception is not the answer. Rhetorical skill is the answer. Uh, rephrasing questions is the answer. But basically, the reason you would rephrase questions in the first place is to bring truth into the argument when, as it turns out, they have constructed the argument so that truth doesn't enter into the picture, right? Just once again, the whole trans thing. Who are we to, who are we to say that this person cannot compete and, and live their dreams? Look, I don't want to be the person who tells somebody they can't live their dreams. Of course you should be able to live your dreams. But if living your dream means that 10 million biological girls don't get to live their dreams, then that, no, you don't win. Sorry. No. I just, no. Um, and I have no problem saying no to that. You are harming people. I'm, I'm not, you, you, you hate trans people. I don't hate trans people. I don't care. It's none of my business, right? You want to you wanna become a trans person? Knock yourself out. It's not my business. I don't care. But when you insist upon people agreeing that that makes you a biological female so that now you can swim against the rest of the women and, and come in first by 40 seconds, not by four-tenths of a second, or even four seconds, by 40 seconds, then no, no. You, your, your, uh, your disappointment does not outweigh the disappointment of 10 million other people. It doesn't. Sorry. No. We don't ever get to that point. We're afraid of being called ists and, and phobes. And so we have no one to blame but ourselves. Moving on. Dave Olson. Uh, so Artemis is at long last on its way to the moon. Let's see how much of this we already covered. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> I'm of two minds of this. On one hand, it's way too late and ridiculously over budget. And not to sound like a broken record, but the you-know-who had gotten half of that money 10 years ago, we'd have already had the Earthlight Hotel at Muscombe 1 on the Sea of Tranquility. On the other hand, I was born a few days before Apollo 15 blasted off, you dear sweet summer child. And there may have been moonwalks my whole life, and now that we're down to four remaining, any lunar progress is good. I just want the next batch of moonwalkers to be Americans, regardless of what they look like, which bathroom they use, or who they marry, or by what they what name they call God. Thoughts? Hopefully, Dave, I've covered all that in the beginning before I got to your question, because I've talked about SLS and, and SpaceX and stuff for the first half hour of the show, so I'm just going to assume that that one was asked and answered. 
Uh, Lynn Dennett, hello from Japan. Oh, hello, Lynn. I can't tell you how much it means to hear things like hello from Japan or hello from South America or Australia. It's just astonishing to me, really. Honestly, astonishing to me, but thank you. I heard you mention Silent America a few weeks ago, so I bought a copy. It took a month, but it finally got here. I remember when I joined the member site, I got a PDF download of the Best of Afterburner Volume 1 as a member bonus. Have you considered doing them as EPUBs and offering them as merchandise for members or sign-up bonuses? Also, the G20 just agreed to vaccine passports being required for travel, so are we going to be serfs for the neo-feudalistic government of the Great Reset? Uh, wow, two questions there. Um, there was some talk about doing Silent America as a as a as an ebook and offering. Uh, I'll tell you the honest truth, Lynn, about Silent America. Uh, that was published in 2005, and one of the greatest pains that I have to live with is the fact that that country is no longer here. This country is still here, and my attitudes towards the country. Are, are the same as they were, but it is, there, there's nothing in that book that I would write today that I would write the same way, including, including the one that I liked the best, which was the Columbia essay, right? I wrote the Columbia essay the evening that I found out about Columbia. Looking up at it now, with 20 years of uh, history on it, I realized that was the minute, that was the moment, it wasn't during the re-entry, and it wasn't even during the days after re-entry, but in the weeks and months after Columbia, that's when I realized I'd given up on NASA. I gave them Challenger, right? I gave them Challenger because, because people make mistakes, because, because people are human and they get complacent. I gave them Challenger. I said, okay, you know, it was a gigantic mistake. We saw it coming. We didn't do anything about it. The lesson was that we should do something about things that we see coming. And then along comes Columbia, and it's like, you guys learned nothing from Challenger. Those seven people that died on Challenger taught you nothing. You knew there was a problem with the foam. You knew, and you simply kept going, knowing that it was dangerous. And you told yourself it wasn't dangerous when you knew it was. And what's more than that, the flight director on the on the Columbia mission turned down numerous requests from the people on the flight control team for that Columbia mission who begged her to contact the, I don't know if it was the Air Force or the CIA, one of those two, probably both of them, and say to them, listen, we need you to use your, your big keyhole satellites to image the bottom of this, of this vehicle and the leading edge of the wings. We need to know whether or not this shuttle has been fatally crippled. And she said, I'm not sending the request because it doesn't matter. If it turns out that it's that it's mortally damaged, then there's nothing we can do about it. That's when I gave up on NASA. That's when I just basically took my NASA pin off and, and, and just said, you can have it back. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. That's the reality of what happened, right? When, and even, even if you take, even if you take the malfeasance of Challenger and Columbia out of it, you still can't escape the much larger malfeasance of we spent 30 years going around in the same orbital track that John Glenn went around in, essentially, right? We spent 30 years in low Earth orbit. We had the shuttle to go to the space, to go to the space station. We had the space station so there'd be a place for the shuttle to go. 
I've said it a hundred times, but when I interviewed a guy from NASA in 2011 or 2010, something like that, I said, why aren't we using this to do what we said we were going to do with this International Space Station? Why aren't we assembling vehicles in orbit that we can then send to the moon and, and to the planets? Well, because we had to change the orbit of the space station. What? Yeah, we had to increase the, increase the inclination of the orbit relative to the ecliptic. So now we can't use the space station to go to the planets. Why did we do that? Well, we did that so that the Russians could get to the space station. So in other words, in order to build the space station, we had to destroy the purpose of the space station. Well, I don't know if I put it that way. I would. I'd put it that way. I don't know how else you were supposed to be, you're, you're supposed to put it. That's what we did. So we spent 30 years, the, 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 the bulk of my life, doing nothing and going nowhere. And I had given up completely on it. And I had remained given up completely on it until that first Falcon Heavy launch. That's when I became a believer again, but not a believer in NASA. NASA spent the last year and a half making sure that Elon Musk cannot fly the Starship. They have bogged him down. The government, FAA, and then NASA have stopped SpaceX from flying the Starship. And the reason that they stopped them is because they've got this $5 billion investment in this antique that just launched yesterday or two days ago. And they are they don't care. It's the same thing with Bezos, right? At first, at first, and I mean years ago, I thought, oh, Jeff Bezos, finally, somebody's trying to do private space. He's got the money. Great. Fantastic. Okay. Blue Origin. Yeah, he's very secretive. Doesn't talk about it much. You know, well, okay, hopefully he's out there working on it. So then it turns out that Bezos spent, what, eight years doing nothing and finally had his first launch only because Branson was also doing nothing with Starship for 15 years, right? Doing nothing, going nowhere. Finally, Branson says, all right, I'm going to fly on this. So then Bezos, well, if you're going to fly, then I'm going to fly. And next, you know, it's like these guys are dicking around. It's a hobby for them. It's not a hobby for, for Musk. And, and, and the board changed, you know. I used to have NASA vector tattooed on the inside of my skin, right? I used to have it tattooed on my heart. And, and it took an awful lot to get it off of there. But they've done an awful lot. And, and as I said at the beginning of the show, not only, not only was the watching those four engines, those four reusable engines take off and go into the Atlantic, not only was that a, a retrograde experience and the orange foam and all and the solid rocket boosters and all the rest. I saw, I watched this thing, I watched this exact stack go up in 1980, 81, I guess. I watched it, right? That was 1981. Can we do something different now? No. So Musk is doing this. And not only is the government trying to slow him down, remember, was it two years ago now? where Bezos sued SpaceX because SpaceX got the contract for the lunar lander. Bezos sued them to stop the process so that he could review the process because Musk was moving so fast that Bezos, who claims to be all about space exploration, had no recourse. His space program was garbage. He hadn't done anything with it. Musk had done something with his. And now Musk is getting all this attention, all this credit. So now we get into this big billionaire ego trip and Musk sues SpaceX to stop us going to the moon? What do you, what do you do, you know? You just, you just, okay, all right. Woody Fool's got something here. He says, the space race hasn't been the same since the, the dark turn. Yes, the dark turn. I've never heard it called the dark turn, but that's exactly what it was. And look, the space race, the Apollo program, which is, an integral part of not only my life, but of my character, right? This, the, the, the Apollo program is, is just had a, such an effect on me that I can't imagine myself without it. But with that said, 
the Apollo program was a giant government program with a one-off objective. And we got that objective, and I'm very proud that we got that objective. But space exploration will not happen until it becomes profitable. It cannot be a, a proposition that loses money forever. It is the kind of thing that requires an awful lot of upfront investment. So did Daily Wire. Daily Wire was in business for three years before they turned a profit. Now they're humming. So I don't mind sunk costs. I don't mind losing money until you make money. But the space program will not continue. There will not be a space program unless it makes money. And the way it makes money is you have to get the cost down. And the only people that are getting the cost down are SpaceX. And the people that are driving the cost up is STS. And so I don't want to see STS succeed. It's bad for the future. It's bad for the country if it succeeds. Because if it succeeds, NASA's going to keep doing what they're doing. They're going to keep blocking the guy who knows how to run in order for the people that don't know how to run to catch up. And it's just, no, no. Um, Buck of 588 says Musk could easily put a Dragon capsule on a Falcon Heavy and get it to the moon, but they won't crew rate the Heavy. Of course not. Why would you put it on a Falcon Heavy? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I, th I thought you meant put it on the SLS. Uh, yeah, okay. You know why he hasn't crew rated the Heavy? Because it's a backward step. Because the Heavy is already flying. It's lifting heavy cargo into orbit. He could crew rate the Heavy. That's a... That's a bureaucracy problem, not an engineering problem. He could crew rate the heavy, but why would he do that when he's got something that's going to replace the heavy and it's sitting there waiting to launch, waiting for the government to give him permission? Waiting for the government to give him permission to go fly to the moon. So this is where we are now, and we've been this way for quite a long time. Even we we're talking about Silent America a few minutes ago. I wrote an essay in 2003 or four about my friends up at a company that doesn't exist anymore called XCOR, and basically Thank you, Paul. That means the world to me. Um, and basically, I talked to uh, Jeff Grayson, who was running that company. He said, right now, the job of NASA is to make sure that nobody gets into space unless they, unless they got NASA painted on the side of the rocket. So for 15 years now, that's been the case. It's a government agency. It's a regulatory agency. And its job is to make sure that they protect their budget and protect their livelihood and protect their standing army of engineers and if that means flying hardware that was obsolete by 1985, then that's what they'll do because that's what bureaucracies do, right? If you just got out of the way, we'd have been there by now. And there you go, right? I'm sick and tired of watching the agency that was the high point of human existence devolve not into not being able to do the job, but now making sure no one else does the job either. That's what you got. That's what NASA is now. Their job is to make sure that nobody gets to space unless it's on board this $5 billion, 40, 50-year-old technology dinosaur that doesn't work. As far as the G20 goes, uh, vaccine passports, okay. Um, we ultimately... If, if, let's just say that happens, um, or is in place now, we still have enough of a free country here to have turned that down here in America. But if it turns out that you, you cannot fly to Bermuda, let's say, or 
Europe or whatever without a vaccine passport, then I'm not flying to Europe. And if enough people decide that they're not flying to Europe, then this will go away because there will be enough pressure put on the politicians to make this stupid thing go away. Great example of this. I mentioned it before, but nevertheless, there it is. 2014, I remember it very well. January 1st, 2014, I went to the grocery store here in California, and I got whatever I needed, and they gave it to me in paper bags, and I said, I'd prefer plastic, please. And they said, we're not allowed to sell you plastic anymore. As of January 1st, 2014, plastic bags are illegal in California to save the, to save the planet. Okay. All right. So I put them in, in paper bags. I grew up with paper bags. Now I remember what it was like to have to carry all your groceries up here and have the wet stuff fall through the bag and how, how many trips you had to make because plastic's much better. All right? So no plastic bags. Fantastic. So there are no pl plastic bags for three, four, five months. And then all of a sudden there were reusable plastic bags, which are much heavier, much more plastic than the ones that used to work so well. But people's demand got around the law. Can't have disposable plastic bags anymore? Nope. Well, here are some, here are some reusable plastic bags. They're a lot thicker, and uh, we'll charge you 15 cents for them each. Okay, I'll pay another 45 cents so I can carry this stuff home. And the people got around the government because the government's idea was stupid and nobody wanted it. The people that wanted it were the people that don't shop for groceries, guys like Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi. They're the people who voted for it. Right? Of all the, look, plastic in the ocean is a problem. It's a serious problem, right? And, and the reason it's a serious problem is because of all the plastic that's in the ocean, 98% of it comes from nine rivers. And all those rivers are either in India or Pakistan or China. All of it. All of it. The United States is responsible for less than 1% of the plastic in the oceans. Well less, I would think. And so if we say we're going to, you can't have a straw in California, then all that does is make you feel good about nothing. I'm not saying there aren't problems. I'm just saying you want to solve the problems, let's solve the problem. They don't want to solve the problem. Mostly they can't solve the problem because they can't do it. Look, when they talk about the climate, there's nothing they can do about China because China's doing what China's doing. Talk about plastic in the oceans comes from India, Pakistan, and China. We don't control those countries. And so we get up on our, on our hind legs and talk about all of the stuff that we're going to do that has no effect on anything because we've already done it. Right? We've already done it. Nope. Doesn't matter to them. They are disconnected from reality. I'm all about solving problems. You want to solve the energy crisis? We can solve the energy crisis. I don't believe there's a climate crisis. The reason I don't believe there's a climate crisis is not because of what temperatures are doing, but because 80 million years ago, CO2 concentrations were not 240 parts per million. They were 3,000 parts per million. They weren't 450 parts per million. They were 3,000 parts per million. Sea levels were 100 feet higher than they are now 80,000 years ago. There was a layer of ice that's two feet thick in the middle of the country where the inland ocean used to be, and the earth recovered from those, so I'm not worried about the planet. The planet's going to be fine. If you want to address problems that we have to deal with, I'm totally down with that. Let's get plastic out of the ocean. Great. We know what to do. We need to clean up these rivers here. And if that means we have to spend Western money to clean up the rivers, okay. I, all right. They're spending billions of dollars to give away free education to people who refuse to pay for their education. Okay, I'd rather, I'd rather spend that money on cleaning up the oceans. Um, and as Fly in 2003 points out, the evidence is that Democrats live in coastal areas. 
the most expensive real estate is on the coast. continues to be that way. And I have been... I've been living in Florida. Well, I don't live there anymore, but I got to Florida in 1970 on Key Biscayne. Key Biscayne's got seawalls everywhere. So for the last 50 years, that water level has been pretty much there. How disappointed they will be when it turns out that everybody doesn't die. But that's what fear-mongering does. And Evan Sayet put together a poem that was fantastic. And the poem basically said, I remember when we were afraid of the ozone hole, and we were worried about global freezing, and we were worried about the population bomb, we were worried about running out of oil, we were worried about running out of minerals. We were worried about acid rain. We were worried about killer bees. There's always been something that's a, that's about to happen to kill everybody, and we must absolutely take immediate action, and then none of it ever happened. Right? It's, that's what they do. They cannot function if they don't have you living in a state of perpetual fear and emergency. So there you go. Um, uh-huh. So that was uh, Silent America from Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. Uh, Jim Samples. Hey, Jim, good to see you. Bill, what do you think of this analogy? Today's cancel culture of censoring, banning, and ostracizing and firing for the wrong speech to me is nothing less than a rebirth of the Puritan era minus all the religion, of course. Um, Jim, I've been spending all of my free brain cycles, and I mean all of them, in, the, in 1918, 1917, 1918, St. Petersburg. I've just been living there, right? Living there. And, um, and, uh, and the thing that most, the thing that continues to amaze me is how unpopular Bolshevism was and how much lying and manipulation had to happen in order for them to get powerful enough so that the murdering could take over. And once the murdering took over, then fear does the rest, right? So censoring, banning, ostracizing, and firing people is a way to get them to shut up. And you don't have to get people to shut up if you're speaking the truth and if you're saying something that people might go for. The only, the only reason to ostracize, ban, or shut up, cancel people is because those people are making a point that hurts you because they're hurting your sale, right? So the Bolsheviks basically killed 20 million of their own people in order to stay in power. And this is why I sent an email out today saying, listen, I originally thought this was going to be about the leaders of the secret police. I thought it was going to be about Dzerzhinsky, Mazinsky, you know, Yagoda, Yezhov, Berry, and all the rest. But the more, the more research I do, it keeps coming back to the same thing. And the same thing is, it was Lenin. It wasn't Stalin who came in and ruined this thing. It was Lenin. Lenin built the whole thing. The, the Soviet Union was Lenin's personality, embodied. Suspicious, paranoid, secretive, distrustful, constantly insecure about remaining in power, constantly doing anything necessary to shut up any challenge to their own personal authority. That's all there is to it period. That's all it was, right? Power, power, power. Man said during the revolution, all power to the Soviets. The first thing he did when he took power was he basically made the Soviets, the actual councils, rubber stamp. 
illegitimate. He lied about everything, and he said he lied about everything, and he knew he was lying about it in advance, and he would say to his friends, we have to lie about this in order to get to there. The, the, the theoretical nature of everything was that, oh, well, if we have to kill 20 million people, then certainly it's worth it, right? Well, you asked the 20 million people if it was worth it. You didn't get it anyway. Two months after the, two months after the Russian Revolution, when the Bolsheviks took over, the Bolsheviks were in all of the palaces, they were in all of the mansions, they were all in the top hotels. And one of the reasons that they kept the scam going for as long as they did was they didn't want to go back to live in their hovel. I noticed that Lenin didn't go back to being an obscure person who sat in cafes, and Trotsky didn't go back to being some lunatic who was writing theory about eternal revolution. I noticed Fidel Castro didn't go back to being whatever, the, well, Fidel Castro was the son of a millionaire planter. All of these people who represent the people, Mao, none of them went back to being the people. None of them said, okay, we've got the people's revolution, the people will take over. No. Lenin said this is a dictatorship of the proletariat, and what he meant was it is the dictatorship of the Communist Party, which means it is a dictatorship of me. Whatever I say goes. And how people can continue to get suckered into this again and again and again and again and again. Listen, socialism, the whole idea of socialism is over when you understand the historical fact that Fidel Castro died with $900 million in his personal bank account. All right? The man of the people, the, the, you know, the, 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 the great fighter of, of, of exploitation, he got to power by chasing Batista out of Cuba. Batista ran away with $300 million. Castro ended up with $900 million of the Cuban people's money in his personal bank account. But he wore the same jacket the whole time, so he's obviously a man of the people. He told people, I live in a fishing hut. Nonsense. Don't be ridiculous. $900 million? That's a pretty fair hunk of change. I don't think even Joe Biden can compare with that kind of graft. What does it take for you people to believe this? Nothing. You, no way. You cannot convince them. You can't commit. Look, of all the lines I've written so far, the one I like the best by far in this series is, is this. If you're determined to defend communism, the best thing you can do is to know as little about it as possible. There you go. Right? There you go. All right. Um, Eric Blake, uh, peace and long life, image of Bill Whittle, a live long and prosper image of Eric Blake. Uh, so Lee Zeldin, the Republican who very nearly became governor of New York a couple of weeks ago, is giving very serious thought to running for chairman of the RNC. He's noted that his near victory proves that the GOP should never again shrug off the idea that any efforts in the blue areas that we should campaign everywhere. So should, the, should he become party boss and how much more hopeful would you be for the future? I don't know much about him, Eric, uh, this this is the first I've heard of it because I can't keep track of everything, but nevertheless, yes. I was at a fundraiser for Mitt Romney about a month and a half, two months before the 2012 election. I was in, I was invited. I wasn't invited because of my capability as a donor, but nevertheless, I was invited to what was probably the biggest single fundraiser for Mitt Romney in California, and I'm sitting in a room full of, I don't know, 150, 200 people with a lot of money a lot, a lot of money. And and before Mitt came out, uh, I got to have my picture taken with him. And I said, uh, so, I said something like, yeehaw, go Mitt. And he said, well, that's the idea. Said, well, thanks for the enthusiastic uh, reply. In any event, Mitt's people came out, and this is the first words out of their mouth. They said, listen, we're going to be asking you for a lot of money today, but don't worry. 
We're not going to spend any of it in California. We're not that stupid. Everybody applauds, right? No, of course you can't win California. And me, by myself in the back, by myself in the back of the room, there's smoke coming out of my ear saying, why, what, what makes you think you can't win California? Why, why can't you win California? If your ideas are good enough, you should be able to win the whole country. Why can't you win California? Can't win California because you're looking at you're looking at the situation as it is. You're looking. You're. you're I, I, look. The, the essence of conservatism is realism. But nevertheless, when you say you can't win California, what you're saying is is that we have a terrible deficit. That that that, that this state is largely democratic, right? So so why spend money in California if you can't win California? Now there is there is certainly a logic to that position, but. Infidel 42 beat me to it. Reagan won California. California's become a lot more liberal since then, but that doesn't matter, right? If the idea is good enough, you should win everywhere, right? If the idea is good enough, if, 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 the, if, the, if what you're selling is a good enough product and you're selling it well, you should win every state. You should, you should pull a Reagan, you know? Give, let, let, let Obama win Illinois, Mitt. Don't campaign in Illinois so that Obama does the same thing as with Mondale. Reagan didn't campaign in Minnesota because he didn't want to take Mondale's home state from him. He still came 5,000 votes away from running the table. Every single, every single state is red in the 1984 uh, electoral map except for Minnesota because Reagan didn't campaign in Minnesota because he was a decent guy. So I'd say, hey, man, that seems like a good precedent. Don't campaign in Illinois. Let Obama carry Illinois and take everything else. Why don't you, why isn't that your attitude? And, and then either right before that or right, right after that, Romney said, look, we need to face facts. 49% of the country is not going to vote for me. 49% of the country has gone, something like that. I did the virtual presidency thing, and that one speech that I did four days after Romney when I said the next president is going to come from the pop culture, I did that because I was so mind-blowingly furious at this entire idea, not just at Mitt personally, although certainly that, just the whole idea is like, oh, well, you know, we have no chance to win that. Why? Well, we have no chance to win the black vote. Why? Especially that one. Why? Who's suffering in, in the United States more than anybody? Black communities. Why? Because they keep electing Democrats. Why? Why do they keep electing Democrats? They keep electing Democrats because people like you, Mitt, won't go into black communities and convince them to try something different. You would think that would be the easiest sale in the country. There's nobody as desperate as that. You would think that if you just went in there and showed your face and, and gave them enough respect to sit there and listen to them and, and deal with whatever catcalls there are, if you had had the fundamental courage and faith in what you're selling to go and do that, this would should be the easiest sale pitch in America. Nobody wants or deserves a change more than black America. That's where all the murdering has happened. That's where all the despair is. That's where all the drugs are. Right? Why? Because they're Democrats. Because they keep electing Democrats. They keep electing Democrats because they're convinced that Republicans are worse, and they're convinced that Republicans are worse, Mitt, because people like you don't go stand in front of them and show them that you're not. You just write it off. Well, this is not our. Uh, we've got our. We and this is Rove as well. We've got our. We've got our. What was the word he used? Our. our was it our path to the White House or our. our you know, strategy, whatever. Well, we, we, we know we're going to lose these states, but we can win this. And if we win this, and if we have this one as a backup, then we can find our way to kind of thread our needle through this maze. It's like, no, no. Give them something that everybody wants, right? The only people that will be voting against you if you, if you do this the right way will be the handful 
of actual communists who are trying to stop you. And that's a point of pride. You should win everywhere. You should win everybody. Why? Why not? Nope. He just simply took it. Well, you're worth millions of dollars. You know, well, I don't know. I would, I'm not, I don't know if I would say that. But... Dude, you're worth $250 million. Why are you ashamed of this? Aren't you supposed to be the party that's supposed to be proud of this? Aren't you supposed to come out and say, yes, I have $250 million? In that speech I gave, I said, somebody said, well, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Romney, you, you're worth $200 million. Uh, uh, whoa, 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 I'm not worth $200 million. I'm worth $250 million. I worked very hard for that money. I paid more money in taxes than every single Democratic candidate on this field. In fact, probably paid more in taxes than every Democrat that's elected in office right now. So when you're talking about social programs and help to the poor, I'm the guy writing the checks. You're the guys who are demonizing me, but I'm writing the check. And this is why Donald Trump succeeded, because Trump didn't run away from the fact that he was rich. He said, of course I'm rich. People loved him for it. A lot of Democrats loved him for it. A lot of real people loved him for it, right? Because he's not... Mitt Romney backing away from the fact that he had $250 million is Mitt Romney running against the brand, right? The brand isn't the millionaires. That's their brand now. They're the party of the, of the millionaires. They're the party of the, of the, of the Rockefeller Foundation and, and, and the tech giants, right? We're the party of, of self-made people. We're the party of people who go out and be successful. It's, it should, be a, should have been a no-brainer, right? A no-brainer, but no. Uh, as Dave Chappelle laid out about Trump, Eric. Um, and look, Reagan succeeded because Reagan wasn't mean, and Trump is mean. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the hand, right? That's the hand. That's the hand we got. I'd like it if I didn't have these cards. I'd like it if I had better cards, but I don't. So what do you do with the cards that we have, right? He generates enthusiasm. He is, he, people believe that he's not beholden to anybody. That's why I support him. That's why I've supported him since he became the nominee. And what he accomplished as a president is unbelievable. It's simply unbelievable. I don't know where this thing's going. Nevertheless, I know how to win, right? And one of the ways you win is you, you hit your positives and you don't commit a bunch of unforced errors. If you want to win, that should be more important to you, right? If you really, really, really think the country's in dire trouble, then you have to win. If you have to win, don't make unforced errors. It's just that simple. I don't care about ego. Look, this needs to be said. I've said it before. I'm going to say it a lot. Losing the presidential election destroys people. It's destroyed everybody who's ever done it. The loser has been emotionally destroyed. The amount of pressure and time and energy and the amount of insults you have to take and all the rest of it, it has destroyed everyone who's ever lost. It has always destroyed them. But Trump, in my opinion, won that election, right? We, in my opinion, I watched the whole thing happen in front of my eyes. Six states just stopped counting. It never happened before. He came out and said, what's going on? And he lost anyway. That would drive anyone absolutely insane. Insane. And I don't know how he's able to get out of bed, but nevertheless, there he is, right? So what are we going to do about it? I don't know. We're going to see. But 
I'm a big believer in the 11th commandment, you know, and that's why Reagan ran the board, except for 5,000 votes, why he got 49 out of 50 states, because Reagan believed in the 11th commandment, and the 11th commandment is, thou shalt not speak ill of other Republicans. When you have a system that's designed to demonize us, that the mechanism is there to demonize us, it's that they invent evidence to demonize us, then for God's sakes, don't give them even a blank round to shoot at us because just the noise will attract the, 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 the machine. Do not speak ill of other Republicans. There's no win in it. It's fundamental. I do believe Trump is an American hero. There's no question. What Donald Trump accomplished as president in, in four years is more impressive than what Ronald Reagan accomplished as president in eight in terms of concrete results of being president. He, he, he is the best president, certainly since the end of World War II and maybe of all time. What he accomplished as president, what he did when he was in office, no new wars, gone from energy dependent to energy exporter, stopped China from ripping us off and, and doing all this other stuff, brought American manufacturing back, basically brought confidence back to the American people again and again and again. And we're back to where we were when we started this whole thing about the Republican inability to deal with messaging. What, what, what Joe Biden is saying, he's one of, those, one of those dangerous MAGA Republicans. The response to this is, are, are you a MAGA Republican? Well, I'm no, no. Of course I'm a MAGA Republican. I'm not only a MAGA Republican, I'm a mega MAGA Republican. And you should be too, Joe. You should be MAGA yourself. You know what the words mean, right? You know what the initials stand for, right? Make America great again. Are you opposed to this idea? You're basically saying, Joe, that anybody who wears the word MAGA on their hat is somebody to be feared. The word MAGA stands for make America great again. What is it about make America great again that bothers you so much? I think it's a grand idea to make America great again. And you should too. You're the president of the country. So why the hell are you standing out there and saying make America great again is something that you're going to fight to the death? What does that say about you? Forget about what it says about me. I know what it says about me. I want America to be great again. The fact that you are demonizing the entire idea of making America great again tells me all I need to know about you, and that is that you don't deserve to be in this office, right? You are coming out out right in broad daylight and saying that the idea of making America great again is not only reprehensible to you, you would criminalize it if you could. Go to hell, Joe. You know, if you got a problem with making America great, then you don't deserve to be president of the United States. This is what I mean. Kick them in the teeth, for God's sake. Why do we, why do we simply just sit there and just tell well, I'm not, I'm not a MAGA guy. Everybody should be a MAGA guy. Everybody who's a patriot should be should have no problem with MAGA whatsoever. You could you could be dead set against Donald Trump and still be in favor of MAGA, right? You could think Donald Trump's the worst thing that happened to this country, but you should still be behind the idea of making America great if you have any love of this country. Why are we so incapable of dealing with this on a fundamental level? Why do we just simply we don't even occur to us, right? Well, I don't know if I want to be labeled with the with the MAGA thing. I don't know if I look. What does the what does the frickin' acronym stand for? Make America Great Again. Who's a problem with that? Right? We just plain simply walk into the killing box and wait for the artillery rounds to fall. It's all we ever do. Right? It's all we ever do. Okay. All right. All right.
fly in 2003 says, ah, oh, there it is, Bill, it's the love of the country. That's the problem. They'll hate, the, the left hates this country. Yes, they do. So why don't we make the election about that? Why don't we make it about that? Wouldn't that be a cool thing to do? Why don't we make it about that? And then, while we're making it about the fact that the left hates the country, why don't we use that opportunity to show them why they're lying when they say it's not a great country? Let's make it about that. Most Americans love this country. Most of them do. So if you want to make it about hating America, I'm completely down with that. So let's just make it about that. We're going to win just on that alone. But then when we say, okay, so you're saying America's the worst country in the world? Yes, okay. Well, what makes you say that? You don't even have to argue about this, right? You don't have to argue. This is self-explanatory. The people who say they hate America are rich people. You can live anywhere in the world. You can live anywhere in the world. And you live here. Why? Why? 273 people. I'm going to keep that number wrong. I think it's 373. I don't remember the number. I should know it, but I don't. 300-some people were killed at the Berlin Wall, Joe and and America haters. 300 people plus were shot to death, including a 10-year-old child, an infant, and an 80-year-old grandmother shot to death. And you know what's interesting about that? Not one person was ever shot trying to get into East Germany. Hundreds of thousands of people are lost at sea trying to get to America on rafts. Nobody's ever lost at sea trying to get to Vietnam or trying to get to Cuba. If you really hate this country so much, why don't you move? If I hated this country, I would move. In fact, I'll go even further than that. If there was a freer place in the world, I would move there now. But there isn't. So the fact that you're here is, is prima facie evidence that stands on its own and is irrefutable. You don't believe what you are saying and what you're telling other people. You don't believe it because if you did, you'd be somewhere else. You'd be somewhere better. Why aren't you? Well, I'm not going to. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. All right. All right. And then you'll hear them say, well, I love this country, but I, I, I love this country if it were to be fundamentally changed. That's like me saying, you know, my wife is a, is a horrible, rotten, no good for nothing uh, cheater. She's a, she's a mean-spirited bitch who does nothing but, but demean me and put me down. She, she's cheated on me with my friends, and she's done all these other things, and blah, 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 blah. And then somebody says to you, why do you hate your wife so much? I say, how dare you insult me by saying I hate my wife? Why... Why would you say something like that about a country you love? I'd run on MAGA. I'd run on it. I'd run on it all the way home. I wouldn't run on Trump. I would run on MAGA. That's why he won in 2016, right? It wasn't about him so much. It was about MAGA, period. Don't talk to Joe. He's not in charge of anything. I'd run with that too, John. John Doty in the, um, in the uh, YouTube stream. He's not in charge of anything. I'd run on that. I would run and run and run and run and run. I'd never stop. I would never stop. Why doesn't it bother you that the president doesn't know what day it is? That bothers me. Why doesn't it bother you? Now, what are they going to respond to that? They're either going to say, well, the president's just fine, which case you bring out the tapes, and not just the tapes of him not knowing what day it is. The tapes of him putting his hand on 13-year-old girl's breasts, that, those tapes, I'd bring those out first. I'd trot those out first, right? Why doesn't this bother you? Doesn't it bother you? Well, okay, maybe it bothers me, but it's better than the alternative. All right, let's just take the alternative off the table. The, the President of the United States can't walk off the stage. He needs the Easter Bunny to help him get into the helicopter, right? Is this what you want? 
I know what you want. You want Bobby Kennedy. I understand that. I get that. But this isn't Bobby Kennedy. And you can't pretend that it is. Okay? It's not. This is, this is who it is. This is who, you, this is who you're behind now. This is who you are backing now. Uh, just so you know, I will eventually answer the Super Chats. The first time chat from... Uh, sorry. I have, to put my, I have to put my identification spectacles on. Oh, there you go. El Tigre 777. 777. El Tigre 777. A good portion of them can't move. Other countries have standards and won't let them in. They offer the society nothing. It's a first-time chat. True for large numbers of people, El Tigre, but we all know that if somebody like Nancy Pelosi wants to move to Switzerland or Michael Moore and they move there with $10 million, they're not going to have any problem getting into a country if they've got $10 million. I don't know how much money that um, James Cameron has, but it's more than $10 million. And he's talking about how horrible this place is while he takes the money that he makes from this place so that he can go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which I respect him for enormously. That's damn dangerous, right? But after Avatar came out, which was 13 years ago, by the way. I know there's a new one coming out. You kind of missed the train on this one, uh, Jim. I think the new Avatar is going to tank. Uh, maybe not tank, but it's certainly not going to do what the first one did. So after Avatar comes out, uh, uh, Cameron goes down to the Amazon and, and embarrasses the local tribes people by wearing face paint or whatever, right? I notice he's not wearing banana leaves. He's still dressed in, you know, civilized clothing. And the reason that he's not wearing a banana leaf is because cotton clothing is more comfortable than a banana leaf. And when he sees villagers in the Amazon wearing T-shirts, and shorts. He has a cow because he doesn't think of them as people. He thinks of them as an animal preserve. He thinks that this is a nature preserve and that these people are too stupid to know that cotton clothes feel better than bananas, leaves, right? Oh, it's terrible. Why is it terrible? Oh, it's so heartbreaking to watch them. To watch them what? To watch them what? To watch them live with more comfortable clothing? That, that breaks your heart, does it? Does it, does it spoil your, your museum appreciation of these people that they want to live a little better and maybe not quite so uh, into your whole noble savage kind of thing? Does that bother you, that, they, that these people choose to wear more comfortable clothes? You find that to be the destruction of, of them, is it really? You know, you, 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 you deify these people and you say they live a legitimate life, you know, that they, unlike us here in the West, you know. They live a legitimate life, and they share everything, and, they, and, and, and you know, they live in peace. Well, first of all, they don't live in peace. The amount of time spent in open warfare among tribal people is many, many, many times higher than it is in civilized countries, number one. And number two, Jim, if, you wanted, if this is such a great society, you could be there right now. You could be sitting on that bench right now, pounding the daylights out of that root into starch so that you could make your paste for your dinner for the day. You could be just as authentic. You could come down there and you could help chop down the trees and you could shoot poisoned arrows at lizards and do all the rest of it, but you don't. Okay, and the reason you don't is because you don't believe what you're saying. And I know it and you know it, but everybody else pretends that you're good for it. You're not. You're not. There's nothing good about being poor. There's nothing good about living in a thatched hut. Because if there was, you would be doing it. Because you can do anything. You can do anything you want to. You could travel to the Amazon by canoe if you wanted to, by dugout canoe, but I bet you didn't. I bet you flew there in your private jet. That's what I'll bet, right? And so this hypocrisy, we never, ever call it out. We never, ever, ever just say 
Who are you fooling? You know what this is like? I'll tell you what it's like. It's exactly like this. It is exactly like this. It is exactly like watching Michael Jackson on that interview with that British interviewer who wormed his way into his friendship and got him to, you know, admit to things. Michael Jackson is on television saying, I've never had surgery on my face. I had I had minor surgery just to open one nostril, but I've, I've never had surgery on my face. And, and at no point does anybody go, Michael, if you think that I and the people watching on TV are going to just sit here while you lie to our faces and not say that you're just lying through your nose, if you'll pardon the expression, Michael, who do you think we are? I mean, actually, really, who do you think you are? Who do you, who do you think you are that could come out and make a statement like that and expect that people would believe it? What, what, who? I'm speechless. Of course you've had multiple surgeries. Now, I don't have a problem with that, personally. I think you look. I think you should have stopped a while ago. That's my opinion. It's none of my business. If you want to have continual surgeries and you have the means to do it and spend your own money on it, knock yourself out, man. I don't see any shame in that at all. None. So why are you lying to us? Because that's the part I find shameful. Put the kids aside and all the rest of it. It's, I don't consider it shameful that you've had as many surgeries as you have. You want to change the way you look? That's your business. You're a superstar. You want it, it's, it's your business. I don't have a problem with you doing that. I have a big problem with you lying to my face and expecting me to believe it. Nobody, nobody, just, nobody just comes out and says the truth anymore. And this is why they win, or at least why they continue to, to rumble along, because the ultimate wisdom of the empire, I'm, I'm going to call it a night after this. I've gotten, there's another question for American Jim, but I've answered one, so I'm sorry. I'm just going to wrap it up. I have to be in the chair at 6.30 tomorrow morning. So, look, why is the emperor's new clothes such a, a remarkable fable, right? We all know the story. We all know how it works. The reason that the emperor's new clothes is such a remarkable fable is because in order for the illusion to work, you have to be a part of it. You are the reason that everybody agrees that the emperor is not wearing any clothes. It's your unwillingness to say openly what your own eyes are telling you to be true. That's why it works. And it's only a little kid because the kid doesn't know enough about social proof. You, you let that kid go another 10, 15 years worrying about what other people think about him. He's going to be seeing, he's going to be seeing that, um, that magnificent clothing too, right? But you are complicit in your own destruction when you become a person who says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, fantastic. I don't want people to think I'm an idiot. That's how they sell it, right? Con men come to the emperor and say, we have managed to, to, to spin a cloth that is so remarkable that only people who are virtuous, smart, kind, good, well-intentioned see it. We put the morality, bake it right in there to the fibers. The only people who can't see this stuff are idiots and criminals. What do you think? Your Majesty. Oh, my God. You see the way that the gold, is, when we move this into the sun, you see the way the gold, oh, yeah, the gold threads. The, it's just, I can barely stand to look at it. It's just wonderful. Yeah. It's a con. 
They're doing it to make money off of this idiot because they understand psychology. But that doesn't explain the people on the street. He goes for the parade oh, oh, because everybody knows this is the point. Nobody sees the clothes. Nobody sees the clothes because they aren't there, but everybody pretends like they see the clothes. And that means that everybody else gets cues that they're the only one not seeing the clothes and that therefore I better shut up. And when somebody speaks the truth, it doesn't slowly dissolve. It just plain collapses. Baboo. He's naked. And what do people do? Do they lynch him? No. They laugh. That's how absurd the whole thing is. They don't lynch the emperor because they're as complicit as he is. He's a vain, pompous windbag, and so are you. You, you are agreeing to things you know not to be true. That's what the Soviet Union did to people. One of the reasons the Soviet people, the Russian people, didn't resist more strongly was because by this time the system was in place, the system made you openly agree with things that you knew to be lies. And when you are openly complicit in lying every day, you've lost your self-respect. Forget about your whatever courage you might have. You have no moral position anymore. You've agreed that all this stuff is true, so you just go for it. And this is, this is what we have in American politics today, right? I don't want to be seen as a bad guy, so I'm going to contribute to destruction, not only of the country, but of myself and of my family and all the rest of it, because I'm too chicken shit to speak the truth when I know what I'm saying is true. I've always been able to say whatever I wanted to say as long as what I believed was true. And on those rare occasions when I was wrong, I wasn't lying. It turned out I said something that wasn't true, then I moved to where the truth was, although I frankly can't think of a case where I did that. Certainly not a case where I did it on purpose. So anyway, you're complicit in your own slavery here. These people don't have machine guns. They're not coming kicking our doors in. They're threatening to call you a bad name. And so we acquiesce to that. Watch the country just sail away. It's not something to be proud of, in my opinion. Uh, anyway, uh, hey, look at this. This one's real short. This one's only two and a half hours. Practical, practical. Um, it's practically a YouTube short. Um, anyway, if uh, if you post it on the blog, I'm sorry. We usually do the members' questions first. We did Facebook this time. We mix it up the best we can. Um, but two and a half hours is a you know, it's a fair shake, I think. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, you get the idea. So anyway, uh, this show is made possible by uh, the members at BillWhittle.com. People who have a, enough um, competence and, and enough uh, generosity to not only pay the shows, to pay for the shows that they're watching, but to pay for the shows so that other people who aren't paying for them can watch. That's really, um, that's really something uh, that I'm very proud of. And, and if you're a member, you should be proud too. If you're not a member, you should hang your head in shame and, 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 and I wouldn't speak to your family ever again. I don't know how you'd be able to face yourself, frankly. Uh, but, you know, that's just my opinion on things. Actually, if you, if you don't think it's worth paying for, that's your business, too. It's a free country. And, uh, and there are people out there who make sure that it stays free. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Stratosphere Lounge, as I say, made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com, for whom we are very, very grateful, all of us, every time. And... Um, and so I guess we'll see you guys uh, live on Monday night for the Stratosphere Studio. Tomorrow morning on Friday, we're recording another three episodes of Right Angle. That'll be six a week, once every three or four days, so we don't have to get one week's news. And we'll get all the rest of it. Those Zoom comments, those Zoom um, 
those Zoom sessions will be in place. I promise you, they are going to happen because they're fun. Okay, thanks for joining us. Uh, and we'll see you uh, next time right here on the same bat time, same bat station.